Welcome back to the Spencer Statement, a podcast where my friends and I take a deep dive into the Resident Evil series. I'm Vanessa, aka Vanessa Sketch, and with me again are my buddies, Chris, aka Jabberwocky 1986, or Chris Jabberwock. I think you've got both, right? Uh, yes, yeah. Uh, Jabberwocky 1986 is on Twitch. Chris Jabberwock on Twitter. Hello. There you go. And Paul, aka Castlebrook Blogs. How are you guys doing? Pretty good. I mean, other than, like, you know, the crushing weight of everything. Mm-hmm. So, basically, every day in 2020. Yeah, I mean, Americans in 2020, you know how it is. No, I I, I know the world in 2020, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the world is, oh boy. Mm-hmm. Ooh, boy. But we got a good episode for everybody today. We got some little news tidbits not as much as the last time got a question our very first question that we're going to talk about first and our main topic which is part two of the resident evil game the original but this time we are covering the remake we got a lot to talk about with that one so first we are going to start off our very first question segment from at joe dwall what game in the series is a guilty pleasure a game that is loathed yet you really enjoy Hmm. So, uh, Paul, why don't you go first? Which one's uh, which one's yours? Oh yeah, throw me under the bus first. Yeah, <laughs> we're all gonna get thrown under that bus. <laughs> so don't worry about it. Just 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 warm us up a spot. Yeah, thanks for that. I suppose for myself, it would have to be Resident Evil Five. Hmm. Fair. I mean, it's one of those games that got slated in production and on release. Hasn't aged that well, but I do quite like playing through it. I mean, it's still a mess now, but it's fun. Yeah, it's it. Resident Evil yeah. Five. I was I was almost going for that for mine as as well, just because you know it's well, you can't. It, yeah. Well, <laughs> the two two people can have the same vote. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, it's it, the the thing I was going to say is that the fandom has a lot of love for this game. It, you know, today, you know, it's been interesting that over 10 years later now, this for some people, this was their first one, Resident Evil 5. And yeah, it's but it's one for us as the longtime fans that it was where we really saw the writings on the wall that the series, it was the one for me I, I didn't buy on first day since the first one. It had been, you know, I love the series for you. I didn't. I actually bought the special edition. Same here. I got, <laughs> yeah, I got the gold edition digitally, actually. Uh, no, I mean, I actually got the proper. Special edition that came with the with an art book. Oh wow! Okay, I oh, see. Neat. Wow. So it was, um, I loved it, and uh, at the time, my cousin and I played through most of it, and it was just kind of fun to actually kind of play through it and get to the story because it is that culmination of the arc that started in Resident Evil One. Mm. It's that's true. It's the end of the Umbrella story, and it's well, it's not the best game. It does kind of tell that story better. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely the better out of the Parasite trilogy. Hmm. And folks, I I will die on a hill for that comment. <laughs> I mean, from a from a pure gameplay perspective, I actually would probably prefer to play five than six, but there's there's a huge chunk of that that is big oof in that game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was one that I enjoyed more until uh, our buddy Rick and I we played it on stream <laughs> about that was about six eight months ago I think and was like, that the time you kept running into the laser beam 
Yes. <laughs> you guys had such a hard time. Thank thank you for reminding me of that. Just remember, Chris, fire hot. Wait, I, I, solar ha- laser hang on, hang hot on, hang too. On, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I have to get I have to get I have to get a piece of paper here. Okay, fire hot. Okay, got it. <laughs> but um, I think for another reason as well, like um, I've actually got a memory of my father watching me play one afternoon. And it's the part with the alligators. Oh, Ooh. shit, yeah. So I got distracted. I got pulled down by the alligator. My father just picked his head up at the same time. He goes, I think you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh, that's a good, that's a good one. Uh, so, um, Chris, what's yours? This, this one actually took some time to think about um, because I... Part of it is that I enjoy a lot of the Resident Evil games, both the ones that are good and the and the bad, and then the ones that I don't enjoy are the ones that people really like. Like I have a lot of issues with four, five, and six these days. Um, and I wasn't going to be the psychopath that said, "Oh, Umbrella Core is the guilty pr- pleasure." Um, <laughs> okay, I, I shouldn't be that cruel to anyone who actually does genuinely enjoy Umbrella Core because that that's a it's a good hate play. But what? Uh, who like all five people? <laughs> Hopefully none who watch listen to this podcast. Um, Bye. I I uh, so I I decided today actually before recording this to go back to uh, Operation Raccoon City and see if that was the one for me. And it that board I was I was literally like dozing off. That's why I don't know if Paul if you were watching the stream of that for a bit, but that's why the gameplay started getting really lazy. Um, I I was just wondering how you're getting from the streets to a graveyard to the umbrella facility to a warehouse in like 10 minutes it's it's raccoon city raccoon city yeah now that that's actually one of the things that felt correct by resident evil stand by the (laughs) resident evil world logic you know um yeah the one that's a guilty pleasure for me is um is resident evil survivor actually and it's part of that is because there's a almost like an asylum films goofiness to it and it's one where because I don't, I wouldn't want to see Operation Raccoon City like remade and like remastered. And th- I'd like to play with oh, better frame. No, no, no. It's just, it's very. That's a very fanficy kind of game, and I totally understand why there was. Because I've known people that loved ORC, um, but for me, Survivor. What I liked about it to get more on track to what I do like about it is, um, I love its goofiness. I love the I love the the depth of like how horrifying the actual backstory is of Sheena Island and what's going on there, and. I actually kind of like the music. I like the the three different paths. I mean, we we just did it for the Mystery Death yeah. Theater five thousand channel, and you know, Please I did follow us there. Yeah. Please watch that playthrough. It is a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun, and all though we got the whole gang for the last episode too, which is a blast. That's a, I think that's the one that's got the most hits too. Um, but yeah, uh, I had to suffer all of that though with you. So yeah, that's definitely your guilty pleasure. Yeah, but. <laughs> Anyway, yeah, it's it's uh, and you know I I think it's just I love the jokes about it as well. Just as my last point because I I remember you know Vanessa, you have that Ark Thompson voice you do for uh, for him, and I've been hearing you do that voice for like twenty years. And I I, I the first time Paul got to hear it, you know, bust up wow. laughing, <laughs> and uh, and it's like it's like oh I'm I it's like I'm not Vincent, I'm Ark. <laughs> it's me, Ark Thompson. There go. Turns out I was the good guy all along, and my best friend is Leon S. Kennedy. It's Twenty like, years oh, later, they're no longer friends. Right. Leon's just constantly like, "Who are you again?" Yeah. 
Arch mm-hmm. just spent 20 years pumping up and he's just like, where's my money? Where's my money? Where's my money? I spent it on flasks for myself. Good plan. Where's my money, honey? <laughs> Don't have it. Die now. Anyway, yeah, that's the Survivor, I think, is my guilty pleasure that is lambasted, but I genuinely enjoy. Fair. Now we will lambast you for that. <laughs> eh. I mean, I'm not really knocking anybody for their choices. You're all making, yeah. you know, valid points. So it's fine. Don't and, worry uh, about it. What's yours, Vanessa? It depends on whether I have my partner as my my uh, co-pilot or not. If I'm playing by myself, it's Orc. Just because of that, like, it kind of scratches that itch of like, I want to go to Raccoon City and just be in the streets for a while. And honestly, the DLC uh, campaign with like the the like default good guy characters are kind of interesting to me. Mm. It doesn't play particularly well, but there's like interesting bits there, and like all of the unlocking all of the art for it was actually really cool to see. I I liked what they I, I like what they put into it. Like it feels like it was still built by people who really like the series, even if. Like, it doesn't play particularly well. Yeah, it kind of came out around that time when Resident Evil was at its lowest, wasn't it? It was getting there. I think? Yeah, because... I, um, I think it was after 6, wasn't it? It was after 6, because it's around... Uh, I want to say it was late 2012, because I remember it was... Because mm-hmm. I, I remember the person that I worked with on a Resident Evil web series here in Port- that was shot here in Portland... Um, don't bother looking that up, by the way, because that's actually been scrubbed from the internet, including the BTS that my father and I shot for that. But um, yeah, it was around then, and he he was a he was a big fan of it. And I remember uh, of Rac- Operation Raccoon City. I remember Vanessa, you hated the one or two episodes of that web series you saw, and I said, "Oh yeah, I did." And I, did. <laughs> and I remember I'm sorry. Saying, and I and I remember saying, uh, "Oh yeah, no, that he's a big fan of RC, you know, RC." And it was kind of like, "Oh, that that shows." I mean. <laughs> So I just looked it up there. ORC came out in March 2020. Not 2020, 2012. Wow. Resident Evil 6 came out in October 2012. Huh. I thought they came out the same year. That that was I just didn't remember which one came first. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was um Chicken or the Egg. Yeah. ORC was supposed to come out beforehand. I think it was supposed to be for Christmas. But it got mm. delayed, I think. Mm. Mm. Okay. Yeah, I mean it's and there's a lot of issues with it, and, and it can be, like, really frustrating and clunky as fuck, but if I just want to, like, be in a sort of Raccoon City environment and deal with, like, goofy, fanficy what-if scenarios, it, it scratches that itch. I mean, granted, now with Remake 2 and 3, if I feel like going to Raccoon City, I'm going to default to that instead. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, single player wise, for me, that it's that. Um, if I have my partner, it's it's RA six just because it's it's not fun to play on my own. But when mm-hmm. I play it with her, it is hilarious. Mm-hmm. Absolutely hilarious. Plus, you can have company when you drink. Mm-hmm. Yes, because mm-hmm. you should never play that game sober. Mm. I have. Yeah, I have. Oh, I, I have. I have, I have so as well. I. Yeah. Oh my god! Almost every time I've played it, I've been sober. <laughs> Oh, You've no. <laughs> like, oh no. But like she comes up with like a lot of really 
hilarious and and fun head cannons. So like it just kind of rolls into like really funny in jokes and like improv stuff that just sticks with us for the last several years. So that's why like if if she's around, then it's it's going to be six. Yeah, I I definitely am more inclined. I I've played six and enjoyed it personally but i do agree i have to you know totally understandable to play it with a friend because i i liked it actually i i liked it okay ish when i played it the first time i'm solo but then yeah again with rick um he and i played that started streaming that together we went through the whole all three all four campaigns <laughs> yeah and that's where like the whole ancient intern thing started coming out then the adventures of shake and jerry and i did a little a little picture where it was uh mm-hmm. it was a milkshake on on Jake and uh Jerry Gergich from Parks and Rec on Sherry. <laughs> yeah, like my partner um had originally talked about the the um agent working with Ada who was just like really into her and just like did everything she asked him to and never said anything. <laughs> and he was like, I'll pick up your dry cleaning, Miss Ada. <laughs> Let me help you with that, Miss Ada, because I, I I do remember some of the stuff. Like, because I think you both were streaming it at that time, and I was watching it with you, and the, I do remember a lot of the agent intern stuff coming up. He was he's a great running joke. I love him. The only decent character in that game. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I like the characters. There's just not um well. I mean, not all of them, but most of them. Yeah, that, that's a discussion for another time. I mean, I actually, I actually like, I mean, I actually like Jake and Helena. I, I actually think that Helena should have been in a degeneration instead of uh, Angela. I think it would have been a more interesting through line because they're kind of the same person. Well, they are voiced by the same car- person. Exactly. Mm. I just kind of wish that that had that had happened, but it didn't. But like, I love I love Team Perfect hair. They both have beautiful hair. It's it's it is majestic as fuck. It is yeah. Team Perfect hair and Team Perfectly stylized. <laughs> yes, and like it, Jake and Cherry are are good together. I I do think that for all of his campaigns, you know, issues, I like that his actually involves. Uh, character development and Jake growing as a person. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed Which you don't, that. You don't get in a lot of them. Actually, proving that he's nothing like his father. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Jake learned something. Mm-hmm. Helbert Wesker never learned anything in his life. Right. I mean, Wesker didn't even learn enough to keep himself from getting, you know, blown up and losing every single time he goes up against the Redfields. So. Well, you see, Albert Wesker never learned fire bad. <laughs> Okay, I go. I actually have one up on Albert Wesker. Okay, that's a, a you shocking, do. a shocking revelation. Yeah, but- <laughs> Take that, Wesker. <laughs> you had to learn that lesson a few times, though, Chris. Uh, but he never did. He never did. He never yeah. learned. Wesker never learned. But Jake also proved he's not a complete sociopath. Mm. Yep, I appreciate that. So I believe that uh, that should cover our question segment, which means we are. Rolling right along into the pretty slim news segment, since the last one was very chock full of stuff. Uh, all we have right now are just kind of some uh, pictures got leaked from supposedly the set of the new Resident Evil uh, reboot film. I'm not going to tell you exactly what are in them, because we don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it. But um, it 
does look like the game. Yeah, it's the art department is doing their job. So we'll see. We'll see how things go from there. I'm just I'm always going to I always bring up I always bring up the Silent Hill movie because the Silent Hill movie visual style is completely on point. But I have so many issues. So gotta hurt me like this. It's a good thing this is a Resident Evil podcast and not Silent Hill. Yeah, and and, uh, and what I'll say, and and by the way, just to clarify what I mean by Silent Hill, because I don't the one I, it's when you groaned Vanessa, I suddenly remembered the nurses and realized remembered. Oh right, except that, um, but the environments uh, were very well done, which is what we're we've seen so far is the environments more than like any of this. Yeah. So also disappointing because Sean Bean lived in that one. It's true. Yeah. Utterly baffling. Yeah. God, kind of what a fucking weird movie. Yeah, but yeah, it again, scares that, me. Yeah, no, we'll we'll yeah another time, another time. A special special uh, one off episode where you and I complain about the Silent Hill movie. <laughs> yeah, I'm taking that podcast off. <laughs> it's like Paul's on vacation, and it's just like an hour and a half of you know just going like, what the actual fuck? And we're this like you know puddle of nerd goo at the at the bottom, you know. At the, Ew! The, the, <laughs> oh, oh no! Or rather, I'm just gonna be silently sitting off to the side, looking at you two X like card. you've grown a third head. Uh, but, but my point is, Ugh. is that that we're just like melting from just how bizarre it is, and you know, and Paul comes back, you know, with a with a tan and a nice little sun hat and a and a bunch of you know kitschy you know souvenirs from his vacation. Okay, Chris, Chris, I'm gonna stop you there. I'm Irish. I don't tan. I'm either pasty white or I burn like a lobster. That's fair. Yeah. Actually, what what it is, it's going to be like that community scene where Paul just comes in and everything's on fire. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm probably going to have to edit most of this out. Anyway. <laughs> well, okay, you start but, it. Uh, there was also, uh, I guess, a brief couple of clips from... Um, Resident Evil Eight, RE Village. It's eight. yeah. <laughs> it basically, it was. It's like this promo they're doing for the PlayStation Five, where they're having celebrities play some games. So they had, uh, I think it was Naomi Osaka, the tennis player. They had her playing some PlayStation Five games, and this is not a. It's not a gamer. And then further, what was interesting was that she clearly hates horror movies she doesn't like being scared mm-hmm. and they have her playing resident evil 8 and so they have these little brief bits of gameplay w- while she's going through it <laughs> sorry folks that was just me head desking ah okay you're, you're right there you have to need a little little ointment for your bruising there good no i think i'm gonna need a new table i've dented it oh crap oh, boy yeah. Um, yeah i mean it's not really a great choice no the- it's a weak advertising strategy and it's not gonna work in the long run no yeah yeah i I, it's weird it's weird tune tune back in when they actually give us any update on on the game itself other than like two seconds of ethan walks down a street right and and apparently there's no fall damage he takes no fall damage when he falls over Uh. just because he doesn't have legs he's just a pair of arms (laughs) again my theory is ethan winter is secretly still infected Mm, true but no fall damage when you're a monster you know, he does have legs. He's not just a pair of hands. If you look down, there are feet in, in Resident Evil 7. He does have nice shoes in RE7. They're not his legs. They're the legs he's stolen off someone. What? Man, we're going really deep down the rabbit hole this episode. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. So this, think- is, this has gone places. 
So, like we said, there hasn't been a whole lot of news. In fact, it's barely even new. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you could probably get the same footage from, like, any of the other trailers they've already really shown us. Because mm-hmm. they just keep showing the same one. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. <laughs> I mean, I know. It's, it's 2020. Shit's hard, but it's still not really grabbing me with, like, anything. Yeah. It's, it's just not there, man. I'm still wait- I'm still waiting for somebody to show up in a tracksuit trying to sell me a VHS tape. And denim. I want denim. Mm-hmm. Be like really crappy Soviet denim. <laughs> all gotta be all in denim. Oh god. I'm just imagining a I just I just wanna see that they're wearing something from like the last hundred years and mm-hmm. they're not extras from a universal film. That's all I'm asking. I, 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 now that we're talking about denim, I just want to see a Romanian roused hour. <laughs> I would, I would, I would honestly love if there was a character that was Romanian roused hour in Ari Village. That would be amazing. I choose to fear what I was programmed to fear. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Winters, I wonder, I wonder if there's beer on the sun. <laughs> just, Basically, from everything we've seen so far, I just keep thinking, Robot Village from the Honkinen episode of Futurama. <laughs> yes. I, I really love that. I love that. <laughs> yes. It's so, it's so accurate. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, and, that's, and that is, that's it. That's the news segment. That's all of it. Yep. Congratulations. We've newsed. We've newsed. We've we've nude because there's it's not that even. That sounds rude. It does. It does. Jesus, I'm gonna have to edit most of this episode, aren't I? Uh, the punchiest episode of all time. Okay. Anyway, so Vanessa, what so, are what are we doing again today? Okay, today is the Resident Evil One remake that was released for the GameCube in 2002. Yeah. Old ass game now. I know. But you can. You can all play it on the, well, I guess now the last gen consoles, you know. Or on Steam. On Steam, on PS4, on Xbox One, and on the Nintendo Switch. The HD remaster, I believe, came out in 2015? Uh, I believe so. It's 2015 or 2014. It's around there. Um, I looked this information. We just point out as well, this game is now old enough to vote. Yeah, let's just put it down to that. Let's just put it down to that. Yeah. All those balls. Yeah. I mean, I, it's it's funny coming back to this. I I wanted to actually get this off right out the uh, right right out the gate is um, the anecdote when this was announced because um, I remember waking up and um, and Rami, the webmaster at Biohazard Extreme, you know, messaged me on ICQ. It was like, dude, 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 you got to see this, you got to see this, and <laughs> and you know, the trailer had dropped, and I I just remember the sense of awe when this was announced, and then. As I'm thinking back on this, I realized how old I was at the time this remake was announced. And it was yeah. uh, 19 years mm-hmm. ago. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm 36 next month, and this game is half my age. Oh, God. Um, yep. yep. Um, I can actually feel the gray hairs forming faster now. <sighs> mm-hmm. I'm, I'm aging 10 years with this knowledge as we speak. Mm. I'm sorry, Vanessa, because... Okay. No. I'm going to be polite and say you're younger than me by a considerable margin. <laughs> I, I mean, I was, I'm in, I was born in March. 
I've been 36 most of this year. Oh, God. <laughs> the, uh, there, back... Vanessa. There, there. Anyway, mm. back to what I was going to say, though. The uh, the other part of this anecdote about Rami telling me about the trailer was um, Rami loved to do these, like, new portions of his site because he was a Flash animator. And I remember he comes to me with a... Uh, with the question of like wanting like a tagline for the for the vid- like the intro for the website and like you know he's going to animate this thing and the, I don't know if it was me or him or if it was kind of both of us talking this out I think it was like a collaborative thing the way we phrased it but the tagline for this remake as it was coming out for us was you have to know where you've been to know where you're going and it kind of is interesting it's kind of interestingly prophetic about mm. aesthetic and logic for where the franchise goes from this point. And that's why, why, anyway, to get things back on track, that's why I'm really excited to talk about this today. That's actually really apt for the game itself, though, because the entire thing about Remake is how much it is meant to screw with people who knew the original inside and Mm. out. But it's also interesting because it adds in so much that was supposed to be in the original game, but was ended up being cut by time constraints. Mm Mm-hmm. Especially like um, Lisa Trevor, who Mm. was supposed to be a major character in the original game, Mm. but was cut right before release, I think, because they just couldn't Mm. get her completed. I always thought it was just the George Trevor, like, side story that was the thing that was supposed to be in there. Right. That's what I always heard. I didn't hear that because I had heard that Lisa Trevor. Anyway, I don't know. But, you know, it's. I kind of see it as being like, you can't have one without the other. Hmm. Hmm. I mean, you could have George Trevor, but without Lisa, it's it's just a guy whose name is in a book. There's no emotional connection, whereas with Lisa, well, we'll talk about this later on, there is more of an impact. Mm-hmm. Right. That's true. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I guess, like, I'm trying to figure out, like, what's, where's a good place to start with this remake about discussing it? Like, do we want to just jump into discussing, like, our analysis of it or our own personal experiences with it, our personal thoughts on it? I think just compare and contrast what was in, in the games. Yeah, I mean, there's also, you got, like, game development stuff that you want to talk, and maybe that would be good to jump in with first. Okay. Um. So the interesting thing about the context of when this was was coming coming out because i i'm fascinated by the history of these game development companies especially compared to today uh from 2002 to sorry from the year 2000 to 2002 this is like the leap from playstation sega saturn and 64 you know 32-bit to playstation 2 gamecube and xbox capcom was making a lot of different games at this time the Resident Evil remake, Devil May Cry, Onimusha, and Maximo were basically being worked on all at the same time throughout different parts of the company. And that's just one like major division. Now, it, obviously, there was probably some overlap and it's like Onimusha wraps early 2001 or I think it was late. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because it was 2001, right? Because I remember that was in like yeah. it was January, February or something like that. Yeah, and- I think so. What was interesting was they had made this decision to port all of the Resident Evil games to um, to the GameCube because Mikami wanted to throw his weight behind the GameCube. He was frustrated with the PlayStation and it you know it, it broke down a lot. A lot of the early units you know were very faulty, and um, so they decided to 
remake the original Resident Evil because it hadn't aged as well as 2, 3, and Co-Veronica. And that's kind of like our sort of basic history of how things kind of get started. The interesting thing is, is that many of the folks who worked on the original Resident Evil, who had also been around for Resident Evil 3, uh, had kind of gotten separated to different teams. And uh, although Shinji Mikami comes in to oversee it and direct it, basically, which I think had been, might have been the first game he had directed since the original Dino Crisis, um, but that uh, they kind of expand the team, you know, and actually get this kind of new crew and some of which, you know, leads to like, you know, the more cinematic elements. So they hire uh, Shimako Sato and the, the quote unquote cinematographer, um, Hide uh, Gondo. Um, those were the two guys who worked on the cutscenes for Code Veronica and they get brought in to do the, the cutscenes for the Resident Evil remake, which then elevates, you know, those qualities of, uh, you know, the cinematic element. And I guess they, uh, uh, all of every interview I see that talks about the cutscenes credits the cinematographer for being very bold with the changing of camera angles, using different types of lenses, you know, so like, it's like, there's more close-ups, there's wide shots, you mm-hmm. know, things like that. Um, using like the way that they did a lot more Dutch angles and things like that. Just- yeah. Hmm. I was going to say on my last replay, I really did notice the use of the Dutch angles and they were really well done. Mm-hmm. So there's the kind of creative push. Um, there's also the uh, the addition of art director Naoki Karakai, who had worked as an object designer for the original game and comes back. He had also been a background artist on Resident Evil 3. But that, you know, so that kind of pushes the tech forward, which then leads to, you know, the struggles in the GameCube. And I guess they had to even ask for engineers at Nintendo to kind of help them out and figure out like, okay, how do we use this, this new architecture, you know, to push what we want? But... Yeah, it's so that's interesting. So when we come to the comparison, this is the uh, sorry, this took a while. But the point, though, is that it turns out that by around November of 2001, with the goal to be that this game is going to ship sometime in March, they've realized, okay, we've basically remade the first game beat for beat. We haven't really changed anything. And the Mikami decides, let's change this up. And that's where suddenly the scenario gets changed things get added, things get, you know, shifted around, puzzles are remixed and sometimes redone from scratch. Um, and I guess that kind of segues into, I guess, the comparison of how did things change? Because... Uh, oh boy, did they. Yeah, exactly. Oh boy, did it. So many changes. I mean, right off the bat, you have the the hallway uh, from where Kenneth is found dead. Mm. And that leads to a completely different area. Mm-hmm. And leads to, well, the the arrowhead, which is also another whole thing that was definitely not in the original. I mean, the Spencer estate went from having, like, no genuine graveyards to two. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of graveyard. It's, it's inter- and it's interesting that they're there in such a dilapidated state, which implies that they were there during the early days of their experimentation, you know, because lore-wise, our understanding is that the place was built in the 60s, correct? Yeah. Yes. And yeah. Now, 67, I, 68, I believe. Just about the dilapidation, I grew up near a graveyard, and I can tell you, unless a graveyard is meticulously maintained, it's going to look bad very quickly. Hmm. And especially because that's a mountain area with a forest and presumably a lot of rainfall. Moss can make things look a lot worse than they actually are. Hmm. So, and a lot, there's, uh, I'm trying to remember, there was a lot of wooden headstones, weren't there? 
Uh, there, there? There's a couple. There's, there, there's a couple in the one behind the mansion, but the one that's yeah. out mm-hmm. in the the one that's out in the forest is all stone. Yeah. yeah. Well, the one out in the forest makes even less sense because it's got like the crest puzzle that's like reveals a perfectly fit in magnum. <laughs> I'm like, what? 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 Who? Who did this? Somebody who's watched like, a few Italian movies. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that I, that I was actually just remembering that today. That is straight out of fucking burial ground, isn't it? The the Andrea Bianchi one. Have you guys have you guys seen that one? Mm-mm. Is there an English actor in that? That's yeah. That's that weird. The weird. Uh, the guy who looks like a kid, but he was like actually in his thirties. The uh, Peter mm-hmm. something or Paul something. Tom Tom Holland. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Tom Holland was even born at that stage. Uh, Sorry, I couldn't resist. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no. Burial Ground is a kick. I, 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 fuck, I should show that movie to you guys. It's a great zombie movie. I mean, it's, it's fucking weird, but it's good. But yeah, no, there's, there's, uh, okay. Hopefully listeners understand what I'm referencing. <laughs> it just, it just really changes things up. And some of the changes don't really still work for me. Yeah. <laughs> when I start thinking mm. about them puzzle wise. Like I love I love the game, but then I stop and uh, and like try to like dig into like the the whole thing with the gallery puzzle, and in the original it being about Spencer's whole immortality thing and like the aging of a yeah, human se- being, the seven ages of man. Yeah, yeah like mm-hmm. totally makes sense. Now it's a stained glass puzzle depicting Lisa and. I can't think of a way that that makes sense to build if you're George Trevor or if you're Spencer. Yeah. I think it was more Spencer because I, on uh, that image of Lisa, is that her as a girl or as the the monster? Well, it's a girl as a, a kind woman. Of, yeah, yeah, a woman, a lady. Yeah, yeah lady, probably so, like late teens, early twenties. I could see Spencer having that installed as like, behold the Mary to my great future. But but it's not it's not phrased that way at all. Right, that's the case. No, no, it's just it, it's Spencer. He's it's creepy ass. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's no, cre- no. Yeah. no. I'm still like nope, nope, not buying it. Nope. <laughs> I I'm I'm gonna be the one that's in between, just because I agree with Vanessa that it's it needs to be phrased better to make it clearer. But at the same time, I do also I can see it from the the perspective that yeah, there is this strange sense of immortalization and the stained glass puzzle looks rather newer made it's probably like in the last like 20 15 20 years which would be roughly in the 70s god damn it i just remembered i forgot to reread wesker's report before doing this um oh oh i just i fucking love um birkin and wesker working there and like birkin's work just takes a nosedive when he gets jealous of actual 10 year old alexia ashford Mm mm-hmm and we will be covering that in any discussion we have about William Birkin. Probably Ari, probably Ari Zero. I mean that mm-hmm. that would probably work. And and we'll we'll get to cover event eventually. And the the Albert, should be yeah, me like, to me again. Yeah, I mean the Birkin thing would definitely work in Zero because oh yeah yeah. I mean God damn Birkin hard to hardy Birkin. <laughs> but like I mean yeah they were kind of you know they were working there and uh, my partner had the theory that like everything in the lab kind of just went downhill when Sherry was born because William and Annette kept having to play hot and potato with their child oh god 
look, I looked after her last month. It's your turn now. Yeah. So it's like the security system start like not being maintained. The nobody's lighting the candles. Cobwebs start showing up because it's just like, well, we can't we can't dedicate any resources to upkeep. Both hang of on, our head on. researchers are too busy with their child. Yeah, I was gonna ask, are they head researchers or are they maintenance workers? <laughs> Well, I mean, it seemed like they still had to like direct things. I mean, yeah, they have to tell people what to do. Yeah, they, they, they yeah, have, I mean, a, they have to get a work log up, you know, and it's like, all right, uh, somebody, so so and so needs to turn on the dehumidifier in the B three lab so that we don't get a bunch of uh, moisture in the giant fan area. Yeah, I mean, Wesker said that like morale and all of the work took a nosedive when Birkin got like obsessed with his rivalry. That's pretty awesome. And that it also like, it made his, it made uh, Birkin's work also take a nosedive, which actually it still works in the context of talking about the remake because there is an actual file from William Birkin in it. Yes. Uh, I was actually- Where he mentions, I can't wait to see the look on fucking Alexia's face. I was about to mention that. Yep. (laughs) And Albert's just kind of like, why are we still friends? I'm a sociopath. I shouldn't have friends. In your face, 10-year-old child. And I'm like, Birkin, by the time you wrote this, she had been in cryostasis for like a decade. Right. And you think she's been dead for a decade. Really, William? Right. Really? Yeah. Let's forget about the fact that she was in cryostasis. Birkin had a rivalry with a dead 10-year-old. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that. It's so ridiculous. It kind of sums up everything we need to know about Umbrella. Yeah, Yeah. it does. And so they're basically just, just, they're petty Twitter people, basically. Yeah. Actually, no, 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 they're they're bitter 2013 Tumblr people. That's what they are. Mm. I mean, I guess it makes the, the, yeah, let's have, let's have our security system before death masks and an experiment that we lock up in a suspended coffin in our torture boiler. Right. Okay, we we actually talked about this the other day, Vanessa, when we were we prepared for this episode. I actually think the security systems we go through in the remake and the original game, they're not the real security system. That's just the one for dealing with intruders, like uh, industrial spies or journalists. There's probably just like a master key that every Umbrella researcher has. And I still think it's too far because even to like, and that that death mask thing involves the four death masks, which is a new thing that is added into the remake. Like all this stuff is is like a new puzzle, and kind of um, sort it takes the place of the crests, right? The and they're still there, but they are demoted to getting you a weapon, more or less. So now it's all death masks. But each death mask is kind of involved in like a multi-tiered yeah, exploration through the mansion. So like you don't just, you know, really stumble on any of them. You have to go through the, the Lisa stained glass puzzle. You have to go through the, you know, night suits of armor stuff. You have to go to the attic, which is behind at least two separate locked doors. And the door that leans into the attic is still with a key that has to be unlocked via its own puzzle. So there's like five, they're five layers deep at that point. But I think that's that's why it's perfect as a security measure, uh. because if you think about it, <laughs> you go through all this shit and you get the masks and it's just like, okay, how many, how many more do I have to get? One more. Okay, whatever this is, 
it's going to be worth it for the amount of effort I've done. And then when you set the masks, you go into that chamber, the door locks behind you, and pop super zombie. Right. Super zombie. I think under I think under most circumstances, the second anyone put one of the masks in and saw one of the chains drop and a bunch of blood falling out, they would go, hmm. No. Right. I've come too far. Yeah, it's a, a lot. Uh, yeah, yeah, but like a good 50-50 shot, someone would go, no. No, yeah, right. Yeah, no. but it's, all, it, it's Raccoon City. There's not a lot of common sense there. Right. And it's the, this also comes back to one of the interesting changes for the remake and how it really showcases the shift of Mikami as a developer getting this chance to be more of a kind of the... I keep saying he's almost more like an auteur filmmaker in respects because he has this, you know, the way that a filmmaker will sometimes get all crazy with abstract visualization. Like I think of like Nicholas Winding Refn's Neon Demon, where like there's a music video type scene, like two thirds into the movie that makes no fucking sense from a logic perspective, but it's entirely about the language of the art form. And that's why to me, I love that scene. I love that scene. I love that movie. But with a video game, especially one that ostensibly is meant to have an internal sense of logic and try to tell a story, Mikami has this strange, like, almost like this continual distancing that starts, I feel, with the remake. It gets worse in Resident Evil 4, and then Evil Within 1 is where we kind of see it reach its kind of ultimate conclusion. Because the idea, I think, that they are trying to go for from the perspective of the developers is to make you feel uncomfortable as the player that you're doing these things. But of course, to us as the players that, you know, as all three of us are writers, we look at this from a character logic perspective and going, there's no fucking way that any of these people would do this. (laughs) You know, at the very least, they would do it in a way that's much more tactical and prepared and less dangerous. I mean, I... I I cut it a lot of slack because I'm like, oh, yeah, Raccoon City, Spencer State, you know, really goofy stuff, which is why, like, you know, I'm not going to pick apart, like, everything, but it just kind of, it would go, like, a couple steps too far for me to, like, suspend my disbelief in this, like, goofiness. I'm just like, oh, no, no, though. Mm-hmm. No. I don't know, you guys. Yeah. I mean, I, okay, it's not it's not as bad for me as, like... Lisa's lair uh or behind the waterfall yeah oh <laughs> that, yeah that one ca- that candle is like the bane of my goddamn existence hey uh future me this- future me can you put up a picture of that on the youtube version of this thank you <laughs> there there is a a candle behind the waterfall that you finally you know get to go past after you've change the flow and everything and there's the ladder leading down to the underground just and and the walls are dripping wet there is active water just coming down and the the whole thing is lit by this one small candle and i'm like that is a terrible idea and who did this (laughs) who was constantly lighting these candles and then i walk down the ladder and then there are there there's electric light bulbs just right there and i'm like well you had one right there why didn't you just use that (laughs) it's right there Mm mm-hmm uh, maybe they gave right Lisa there. a job. <laughs> I'm sorry, but uh, Lisa's probably too busy uh, making a perfect circle with candles and lighting each and every one with her chained arms. God, I'm uh, sorry. I'm sorry. I really do love this game. It's just like that. That just like, I'm like what? <laughs> really? Yeah. We we love this game. It's just, but we love it so much. We can see the flaws in it and just kind of go. We have to make jokes. Yeah. We, yeah, yeah. I mean. 
nothing tops that sign for the the puzzle to get into the second oh. graveyard. Oh my god! Oh god! Yeah, we were talking about that yeah, the other day. Nothing tops that. And this is another thing that is completely new to the remake. The you get out of the mansion proper and you're heading uh, through like the what is it the shack? Mm-hmm. The um, you're heading towards the shack, yeah, or the sorry the uh, the little um, um, like garden garage. Sp- it's the garden, garden sp- shack. Yeah. yeah, shed. That's it. Garden shed. Yes, it's the big old garden shed that leans to like the the garden and then the guardhouse. But before that, they added in a new pathway off of the shed, which leads down this hill to the second graveyard, mm-hmm. <laughs> the second graveyard of the Spencer Estate. And there's a puzzle to get in because it's guarded by statues because it's Spencer Estate. And the sign has like these four different directions that's meant to correspond with, you know, north, south, east, and west. But the names are just bonkers. Bonkers silliness, like the the Valley of Destruction. But it's misspelled on the sign, so it says Valley of Destruction and the Cave of Hatred and the Summit of Madness. I I st- <laughs> like I want to believe I want to believe, although I don't think the film was commercially available worldwide yet, that they had watched the Lost Skeleton of Cadavra, and this was their little wink, wink, nudge about it. I somehow doubt that, though. It, no, if it no. were true, I I would respect that. Because <laughs> every time my partner goes, Ah, yes, it's next to the Cathedral of Lost Soap. <laughs> I sleep now. Oh yes. God. Yeah. Like that that is the absolute like goofiest silliest thing in that game. And it it doesn't fit. It kind of does. Not to me at all. I'm like, no. No. See, no get out. And what's, get outside. <laughs> and what's a bummer about this is these kind of additions is a you know, and there's there's all these different things we're discussing: the candlelight, the the weird logic about this, the alternate doors, things like this. Um, because of the fact that so many of these changes were done at a very different time in game development history, they were done very quickly. You know, roughly around two and a half to maybe at most like four months, right? You figure they had to have at least a month to go from gold to shipping the game, so that means that they have to, you know, it feels like something they handed off to the interns, like we're busy with this. You get to do these very small areas. So Don't what, fuck it up. And what's so kind of that seems like that was kind of in the direction it sort of went. And the reason I said this is because the team was pretty small. Like it actually is pretty tight. When it you see a long credits list, that's more of the production crew for like directing and executing like the cutscenes. But when it came to the internal development, like production heads, it's a pretty small, tight team. More of what it sounds like what happened is Shinji kind of goes to the team and says, I want to add new stuff. You guys come to me with ideas. And he just kind of is able to choose from that. But there's no one like figuring out how these logically work. Because because imagine if you have a new file that's like another like Keeper's Diary type thing that is about the guy who wrote that stupid goddamn sign. And what it is is he's just like this – he's just a nerd. He's a doofy, funny nerd. He loves horror movies and comic books. You know, he's always reading Tales from the Crypt. And, he, and that becomes this tragic thing is that he, you know, died – and one of the other, like, I don't know, Martin Crackhorn or somebody put up that sign as like a weird way of like honoring the guy because he died in one of the experiments, oh. you know, like that then adds this context, which makes it interesting. Um, the stuff about Lisa lighting all the candles and things like that. And what is she doing around the mansion and all that kind of stuff? What if there, you know, what if for a long time there was somebody on the grounds that was taking care of her after she gets loose, not realizing how dangerous she is and she ends up killing him 
in one of her rages or, you know, the parasite does something or infects him, you know, these elements could work. Mm. They could be, they, they can, they're just with what's in the game, there's not enough to make it work. That's, that's my Cause point. Because like, I- I really thought that what they had was uh, they genuinely thought Lisa was dead at that point, that they had uh, killed her and disposed of her body and they wrote her off entirely. But for some reason, they they did not think about the fact that her chief function is to not fucking die. So she just (laughs) she just woke she woke up and went back to just, you know, being stuck on the grounds because she couldn't figure out a way to leave. It feels very much like Frankenstein's monster. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They just wrote her off. Instead of her getting revenge and just kind of killing everyone dear to her creators, it's just, well, she's going to wander around, light, flower, uh, light candles, collect flowers, rip the skins I mean, off people's faces. I still don't know how she's lighting candles. Awkwardly. <laughs> Incredibly awkwardly. Good lord. I'm just imagining her with like one of those like one of those those suburban like little candle lighter things that's kind of those long things and like it's like how does oh, she oh yeah yeah but it's like then how does she even get her hand her thumbs in shackles around the 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 safety lock on those things badly <laughs> awkwardly uh but I'm I mean I guess for like game flow stuff we could at least uh you know dovetail that into talking about uh, the crimson heads because. As much as like the puzzles uh, did change the general flow of how you were going to go through the mansion, the Crimson Hens also, from moment to moment, change strategy on how you even want to deal with most of the threats Mm -hmm. in the mansion. And they're an interesting bridge between zombies and the Lickers, who are arguably now one of the series' most recognizable monsters. Mm -hmm. They are. Yeah, definitely. Yep. Which is... No, no, never mind. I'm going to save the comment for another another episode. But oh boy, uh, uh, controversial. The uh, so yeah, because that's the the V act uh, reaction, mm-hmm. right? Because there's the file about that. I'm going to look, make sure to double check that. Yeah, and that they are not like for a while. Everybody kind of just thought, oh, okay, so crimson heads are the in between point between zombie and liquor, and it's like no, they're they're still distinct. It's just that like. Liquors became like the offshoot of that. Yeah, because it's the um, epsilon strain of the T virus creates crimson heads, and the first crimson head um, is the one you fight with the death masks. Right, the one in the coffin. Beardo. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> so the original story there is that one of the technicians gets infected with the epsilon strain. And turns into a crimson head. Now, Umbrella had not been doing any experimentations with that strain on humans. Or with the T-Virus in general. But what they find with the with this guy is incredibly interesting. It, they only put him into that coffin when he kills four assistants in a feeding incident that went terribly wrong. <laughs> That incident cracks me up. They're like, I'm like, did did you guys try throwing the meat at him? Yeah, no, it's a it's. So I didn't yeah. think of, I didn't. I thought he was civilized. He wouldn't bite the hand that feeds him. I I came up to him with a plate. I didn't think he would take off my face. <laughs> I just I'm, I keep thinking of um, 
Have you ever seen that film, Attack of the Sabretooths? I have not, but I need to now that I know that that's a title of a movie. No, no, <laughs> no. There might actually be another film with another Sabretooth. It's got uh, uh, the guy who played Gimli. Oh, uh, John Rhys oh, Davies. John, John yeah, Rice John Rhys Davies. Davies. Yeah. And uh, at the start of the film, there's a technician who's just kind of finished some work, and he opens this door for a janitor to go in, forgetting that there's a saber-toothed tiger sleeping in that same chamber. <laughs> so the janitor gets killed. The technician looks in and goes, oh, something's happened here, and gets killed. Oh, my God. <laughs> so I, I keep thinking that's what happened. It was like, oh, Dave's dead. What happened here? Oh, my God. No, no, no. <laughs> Oh, Dave and Michael are dead. What happened? Yeah. God, no, 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 no. Where'd Marco go? Oh, God. Well, um, oh, God, there was, there's two horror movies that that, rem- oh, two horror things that reminds me of. Actually, no, sorry. It reminds me of a horror thing, but I'm going to mention the more comical one that I can actually reference. Is Parappa the Rapper 2 has a little piece <laughs> where there's this button that's shrinking people that's tied to a remote control. So this uh, this character is trying to change the channel of the remote, and all of these random people keep popping in out of the street in the main door, and they she keeps shrinking them. I'm just I'm just amazed. I'm <laughs> I can't imagine that they would be stu- so. They're Philip J. Fry levels of stupid to just like get the meat in their hands and stick it out, and it's like Haha, he's licking my fingers, and then they pull back the hand, and it's gone. It's like, oh. yeah. But on a on a slightly more realistic note, I'd say what probably happened was one technician went in, kind of just. Mm-hmm. shark mail whatever they weren't careful they got killed the zombie got out killed three others probably yeah most but, likely um, scenario yeah. but upon seeing what the crimson head could do umbrella ramped up their research into the epsilon strain and it's actually the modified version which creates liquors okay that so that's okay if that is the canon that actually finally Ah, mm-hmm. oh, I feel this sigh of relief because the liquor thing has been bugging me for decades. Uh, yeah, no, that's that's basically it. Oh, thank God. I wish I had known that sooner. Um, the one thing I wanted to comment about the Crimson Heads before we get to it, get too far off the deep things. One thing is about the gameplay thing is I love how it makes you, as we're saying, you have to, when you know it going in on your second or third playthrough, you really get to plan out what zombies you kill and what, which ones you don't. Uh, when you use the shotgun rounds, how to use the fire to dispose of the body. Uh, secondly, yeah, we should probably point out to people who've never actually played um, the remake. Certain zombies could come back, even if you destroy their heads. You actually have to burn their corpses to permanently end them. I believe blowing off the heads is a permadeath as well. It's uh, uh, yeah. Uh, as far as I know, sure. it is. Uh, I think let me, uh, let, me, let, me let me check because actually they have it in the file body disposal. Here we go. Because uh, every time, every time I got rid of any of their heads, those guys never came back. Yeah. Uh, currently, there are two known methods to cease their resurrection. One is incineration, and two is destruction of the head. Special instructions when disposing of bodies. Um, yeah. So that's that's uh, that is the body disposal file that is found in the East Wing storeroom, Mansion One F. It's where you get the uh, canteen for the first time, I believe. Yep. Oh, a zombie can be prevented from turning into a crimson head by either destroying the head or its kneecaps. <laughs> oh, which is probably because they, they didn't want to animate the uh, crimson heads um, crawling around. Yeah. That would make sense. That would make sense. Um, 
I love visually the crimson heads. I love the retextured skin is fucking terrifying. Um, yeah. I love that the claws are like out of uh, Lamberto Bava's Demons, which is one of my absolute favorite horror movies. Um, so that's another. I love the fact that their eyes completely white over. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so cool. And they kind of, they almost have like steam coming out of their mouths when they like mm-hmm. exhale, which is, is neat. I, th- I think it's because they're actually alive again. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. they get their name from the fact that there's blood still circulating, uh, st- circulating around their bodies. So the heart must still be active. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and... the horrifying thing that they like really have been trying to drive home about the T-virus infected people, zombies recently, is that like, no, they're not really undead. They didn't die. They're just, they can't control mm. themselves at all. Right. But if their hearts are pumping as well, it also explains why you can actually see their breath when they exhale because mm-hmm. their blood pumping that fast must be raising their body temperature up to extraordinary levels. Oh, that'd be interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, another zombie movie reference to make there is I do wonder if the Crimson Heads in 2002 inspired the, I think it was 2012 or 2013 zombie movie Wormwood, where the zombies, um, hmm. well, the zombies in that actually produce a type of fuel. Um, it's a, it's kind of a, it, it's kind of a weird sci-fi cosmic twist in that film, but. It's also an Australian film, which explains so much. <laughs> <laughs> that movie's wild. Really- it's really fucking I'm good, sorry though. to any Australians out there. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, uh, offenses to Australia aside, <laughs> Wormwood, is, Wormwood is really good, and, and people should go watch that movie if they like zombies. Um, anyway, but, um, yeah, go ahead, continue. Before we actually move away from the creatures, can we just talk about how a lot of the creatures they created at that facility were actually useless? Yeah. That's true. I did have one more thing to say about um, like gameplay-wise about like the Crimson Heads and how that like remake tries to make you, at, at least until you get um, through the mansion into the guardhouse, really makes you try to double think about, like, do I kill anybody around here? Do mm-hmm. I even do that? And then the remake of 2 takes the opposite track. Mm-hmm to screw with you so people who played the remake was like yeah yeah you know you avoid taking out zombies because you know you don't want to have to deal with anything that might happen but you have to and two to clear out areas where mr x is going to be chasing you and it's like this i i think like just gameplay wise it's really neat how they want you to go from one end to the other because you're always on your toes then that's what a game should do yeah if yeah. you go, if you play the three games like Resident, the three remakes, one, two, and three back to back, you're going into two thinking these zombies could come back. They're essentially fresher. They could be infected with what makes crimson heads, and you don't get that, and that really screws you up. Mm-hmm. And then you go into three. And you're kind of thinking, okay, well, I'm probably not going to run into anything. And at that point, when you're thinking that, that's when you meet the parasite zombies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's a it's a really interesting uh, through line, honestly, gameplay wise. I think yeah. that's really fascinating. It's actually, I mean, I, I I like lighting them up too. Yeah. Um, in in remake, I'm like, eh, okay. strategy. You guys know my, you guys know my uh, 
approach to post first play throughs, right? Rocket launchers all the time. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, yeah. Well, but you know, interestingly, I, when I was replaying it recently with the rocket launcher, no, you still gotta light them on fire. <gasps> Makes sense. But yep. at the same time, you're also clearing zombies who aren't gonna come after you. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. There's there's a couple of bodies that they specifically put in the mansion to encourage you to remember that you have to deal with crimson heads there is one near like the the storeroom on the uh the the west side yeah west side west west wing first floor the west wing yeah there's that one there and if you don't deal with them they are going to come back Mm -hmm. 100 percent. i mean and then there's like there's the other one i think there's another one uh yeah there's um oh god because i know there's There's the one that both wings isn't there Say again. There's one in both wings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think I think you're correct. I think that's yeah. There's the East Wing guy too. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's right. Um, I was also going to add uh, on my last playthrough. I was reminded that the other thing about the Crimson Heads is that that as a factor is goes beyond the mansion. You can get Crimson Heads if you're not careful and you don't burn the bodies or blow off the heads in the guardhouse and especially in the lab. That is true. Yeah. Which is uh, which is cool. You, I think there's more tactics involved in the mansion segment because you're kind of less arm armed up. You don't have as many much firepower, so it's a little more trivial later on. But you can, if like say for instance, you've gotten you know roughed up by the chimeras and you're trying to double back to you know uh, go check on Chris or to use one of the mo discs or there's something you forgot before you go off to Tyrant and your health is low. Oh, say for instance you're going back up to B2 and you're trying to get the the herbs that are outside of the room with the the uh projection room, the conference room. And you haven't popped those what are those two guys that you killed earlier and but a bing, you got crimson heads. So, it happens. Yeah. And and you have to really worry about that when you're doing the segment that involves taking the canister over to the power room. Yes. yes. Oh, yes, the canister of nitroglycerin. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna say it. That segment, not uh, not my favorite. No bullshit. No, no not let's a good, not a good addition. It's and, a bullshit segment. Let's just call it what yeah. it is. Yeah, yeah. like, I, I mean, you, you, anybody can argue all they want about like the aesthetics and like the puzzle changes, but that thing, I don't think anybody likes that one. <laughs> mm-mm, mm-mm. Yeah, that's 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 a hard one to argue for in favor of. Partly because it also it's I understand it's trying to remix gameplay, and given my feelings on mm-hmm. Doom, Doom Eternal this year, I like when gameplay is remixed at you know towards the end, but not like not, not like this, not like this, not like this. That kind of gameplay element though is right up there with escort missions for oh. worst fucking idea ever in a game or the uh the tailing somebody in grand theft auto where you have to be at the exact right sweet spot (laughs) i hate those hate those oh put it in the bin where it belongs put it right in the trash just bad it just like it it extends gameplay by like a couple minutes and i'm like i'm not scared now i'm just i'm just tired yep can you just put it in now? Just just put the canister in. It extends gameplay, but it doesn't actually increase any part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not. It doesn't increase enjoyment. It it's, doesn't add anything to it. Yep. Yeah, it's probably my least favorite part. Yeah. Um. So so Paul, you were you were saying about the creatures that most of the ones that they created at the lab were uh. How was it you put it again? Useless. 
Because mm. <laughs> if you if you actually look at some of them, and you kind of think, hang on, there's no feasible way to use these. Like let's let's forget the zombie dogs and the um, zombies themselves because they're accidental, they're incidental to the virus. Take something like Neptune. Yes, on the one hand, you've got a giant zombie shark. How are you going to use it? Because mm-hmm. short of it being big and strong enough to take down a battleship, which is is a case of like just use a bomb, you know. It's it's a case more, of more than that. Just load a shark into a cannon. You're done. <laughs> more than that, though, Chris. Can it actually swim in salt and seawater? Because there's not a lot of sharks can, that can do that. Mm-hmm. That is a great white. Mm-hmm. Mm. That can only swim in seawater. I mean, it, it, it also, it, it, it came to my mind that was like, well, I mean, sharks are already pretty capable of fighting killing and killing. And so what exactly does giving it the T-virus do to it? It yeah. makes it kill things and fight things. Mm. It's kind of a lateral move for that shark, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, we I've tried to bring up this point in other discussions as well. Tyrants are actually useless considering the amount of money you put into them and how much use you'd actually get out of them. Yeah, they are kind of. Because um, kind of researching this episode, I found out that tyrants are actually made from uh, people who have a genetic code that's found in about 1 in 10 million people. Holy shit. Yeah, it's a very rare thing. And then later on, they kind of like retcon some of it to being that like they got to make more tyrants once they were able to use uh, the DNA from uh, Sergei Vladimir. Yeah, they just started like cloning clones. him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. God. Most, was... most tyrants you fight post um, Raccoon City are clones of, Ser- uh, of Sergei, yeah. Yeah. I, I'd, I'd still Sergey is one of those things that I just I wish didn't exist in the canon. There's <laughs> so many problems for me with it. You just you just like look at him and then just kind of turn away and go no. I mean I was I was watching Umbrella Chronicles videos for prepping for the Richard and Rebecca stuff here and I got to the moment where they see him carrying a, a carcass away out the front of the mansion. I just and it's yeah. the most it's just look I love anime bullshit but that's not the kind of anime bullshit I want in Resident Evil. Okay, it's just he's just so weird, such a weird guy. Yeah, but I think like at the end of the day, the only really success Umbrella had. Were the hunters? I mean, from yeah, I've really come yeah. around to that, to that, to to agreeing with that for sure. Because no matter how you look at it, you can get a lot more hunters for your money than you can for a tyrant. And yes, hunters might be easier to take down. You're not losing that much cash if you're like a terrorist strapped for money. Mm-hmm. A hunter will give you the most bang for your buck, and yeah. it it's still difficult to take down. Mm-hmm. Speaking like, of- the way you could actually sorry there Chris but the way you could actually describe it is you're given an RPG or you're given a tank <laughs> oh boy yeah. you, you spend a million dollars on the tank or ten grand on the rocket launcher mm-hmm. Leon nice. Kennedy sweats and wonders which, which one to pick <laughs> but I mean like yeah. if you think about it then like you could maybe get a hundred rocket launchers or one tank. Right. Right. Which the tank might be able to help you like hold one stretch of road 
whereas that 100 rocket launchers will help you take a whole city. The 100 rocket launchers will take, will take out 100 tanks. <laughs> I want 100 rocket launchers. Depend, depends on the, the make Star of tanks. Resident Evil 5, though. Yeah. Resident Evil 5 rocket launcher. Okay. Good point. Okay. Mm. Okay. If we're talking Resident <laughs> Evil logic, yeah, yes. Okay. Mm. Um, I was going to comment about the hunters. There was something that I, I don't know if I remember ever encountering this, but Mikami revealed this and talked about this in one of the interviews that apparently, so there's the defensive items, which we haven't discussed yet, but the def- when you stab the yes. knife into the hunter's head, it keeps clawing and moving. Mm-hmm. He re- oh, yeah. He revealed, and so, okay, I get I get the feeling, Vanessa, you're familiar with this. If you get too close when it's in that state, it can decapitate you and kill you instantly, apparently. I did not get the decapitation, but I did get it lash out and hit me. Yeah, so you at least can get hurt. So I, oh, I take that back. Actually, I'll have to, I'll have to probably look up that quote again. God damn it! I don't oh, know. So where... by the way, um, absolutely, fuck hunters, fuck those guys. I hate them. Like, but I love them so much. Gr- great monster, but also fuck those guys. So yeah. while Chris is looking at that, will we discuss what defensive weapons are? Yeah, they they each, uh, both Chris and Jill, get different defensive items, which was not a thing in the original, and does get brought back uh, in formats for uh, remake too. But it's it's still different here because they do not take up item slots, so you can stack yeah. as many of them as you want. Both of them get access to the knife, and then each one gets their own specialized. Uh, defensive item chris gets uh, flash grenades that he can just like jam in the mouths of the enemies and their heads tend to explode or jill gets a stun gun it's kind of it's one of those rare instances where chris kind of wins out in that regard Mm -hmm. he sure does (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah i don't know i don't know entirely what to think of that myself it's a weird choice like i like the flash grenades uh quite a fair bit but I I mean, whenever I'm playing as Jill, and I probably default to playing as Jill when I play the remake more often than not, I, I almost never use the stun guns because it's just, it's a weird thing. It's a weird choice. Mm. I think they added the stun gun in because, like, early 2000s, it's a lot of time, like, where they're trying to advertise their usage to women. You know, hey, yeah. be safe, carry a stun gun. yeah. I just don't think they're going to be very effective against those monsters. I mean, yeah. mechanically they are because they they make them so. But like, I, I, when I'm like trying to think about it, I'm like, I don't know. I like the flash grenade better because I get why. Like, that's that's an automatic kill. It's a grenade. It explodes in their mouth. Yeah, yeah the the stun is not. All, all you've it done is, not is just automatic. You you've tickled a zombie. Like you Ooh. you don't have to worry about its heart stopping or anything like that. <laughs> Stop that tickles. <laughs> I mean, that said, the 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 differences between like Chris and Jill, it's it's still the same. But like when I was replaying uh, as Chris, I, I just like at one point I was just like, "Oh damn you, Redfield! Get some fucking pockets." <laughs> I still can't believe that vest clearly has pockets. Pockets he's not using. I mean, inventory. it's also the opposite of real life, where where men always have more pockets than women because women's clothing is not built with pockets mm-hmm. i've got five pockets on me right now oh how I, dare you i've i have probably about the same maybe a little more because i have my cargo pants on today i have zero pockets on me right now i'll give you my back pocket yeah i i, I got a, I got a i got a mm. side i have two i have a side pocket i can spare yeah 
I guess. <laughs> um, I guess. Folks, folks, if you want to send Vanessa some pockets, we'll start a GoFundMe for that soon. <laughs> GoFundMe go pockets. Just the phrasing of that just sounds... It's go, uh, well, welcome back to our GoFundMe Pockets uh, charity stream here on Twitch. Make sure we're, we're just up to our uh, $1,500 goal, and we're going to be hoping to smash those numbers. Everybody uh, click subscribe and get, get the link on out there. I can't believe we're five minutes into the stream. <laughs> Everyone loves Pockets. Anyway, uh, back to the defensive weapon thing. So yeah, so I don't know if this is just a misprint or if it's from uh, an interview before the game was finished and balanced out. But Mikami yes, does. Yes, it is. Mikami says, by the way, when characters use the de- the defense knife to a hunter, if the hunter struggles and you make the character step forward to the hunter in this moment, you'll die! Excla- exclamation mark! Exclamation mark! So, mm. well, yeah, you just stabbed it in the head. <laughs> I mean, I definitely I stabbed one as, as Chris, and I was trying to get away from it because it is it is the singular hunter that kills me more often than any of the other ones. The one in the underground passage. Oh, that motherfucker! Yeah, the one that like it, it's uh, when you're coming back from a meeting with Enrico. Yeah. Is, so that, is and that, you're you're is, heading up. Right. Right. Um, yeah. You is that? I'm, I was just thinking. Yeah. Okay. That one. Oh, I'm he's try- the one. Yeah, he is the he is the one who has destroyed at least two of my no save runs. Oh, because Jesus. if you don't, if you if you do not cross the distance fast enough, and you think, oh, I'll just stop to hit him. No, no, he will do automatically do the decapitation move almost like immediately. And the last time I was like, oh, I'm not, I'm not, you know, messing with you, asshole. So I rushed him. And he still tackled me, so I stabbed him, and I'm like, well, you know, it's better than a decapitation. And then, like, while I'm trying to aim, he just lashes out and just, like, slices me, and I'm like, wow, I really hate you. And then I, I killed him. Do you know it's actually so, impossible to shoot a hunter when it's in midair? Uh, Which is different from the original. I don't know about the remake. Yeah. It is not that way in the original, because I have shot them out of the air in the original. Yeah. Um, but in it's, the, it's, but I've never done it in there's the something about, yeah there's something about their animation hmm. mm. they're impossible to shoot down when they're launching for a strike I, the only person yeah. who actually does it is Barry and that's in a cutscene that entirely explains why I have trouble with that guy because he will almost automatically go into the jump move the second he triggers and trigger have, me it, it, he has very little time. Like you just have almost no time to deal with him. And the only way to like stop him from doing that move is it by like rushing him. Mm. Mm-hmm. I, so again, fuck that one hunter in particular. Indeed, hunters, nature's asshole. <laughs> uh, I, mean, I, I, I miss. I, I do miss the the chimeras though. I mean, they're fucked up as hell. Oh yeah, I say this every time we bring them up. But yeah, okay, yeah. If we're gonna talk about the chimeras, just I have to say, yeah, we have to this. We yeah, they are. uh, I totally agree about missing them because when I was uh, going through this last time, I I was reminded the crunch when you blast them Mm. with a shotgun is so satisfying. It is. They are an amazing creature in the remake. They're they're less annoying, and thus they're more fun to fight. And their movement and animation and sound design is so good. And I just, yeah, 
super sad they haven't come back. Well, they've actually ramped up the horror aspect of the chimeras by explaining where they get them from. Yeah. Um, it's heavily hinted, if not outright said, that Umbrella has kidnapped homeless women, implanted them with the chimera DNA in an egg, and just uh, they've cloned the successful ones. It's 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 so horrifying it's, and very Cronenberg yeah, and it, it it is it is completely horrifying, but it makes for a very creepy looking monster. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's right up there with um, survivors cracking open the heads of kids to ex- extract a hormone or chemical from their brains while they're n- still awake. Yeah, yeah. non. The, the, ter- the, the yeah the, the non, non the beta non serotonin or serotonin yeah the, yeah the ter- ter- serotonin terror sweat that crap in their heads yeah <laughs> terror sweat uh, I mean also like remakes uh, we have an entire orphanage full of test subjects Oof. yeah yeah umbrella is horrible umbrella you get you're dark man you're dark umbrella good lord yep I'm starting to think umbrella aren't the good guys. Really? Are we maybe the are we the baddies? <laughs> um so back to the to the remake uh it's also speaking of the monsters. Um one thing I I also really liked in this was how the I love that the boss fight arenas have been remixed considerably. They've added like the mm-hmm. uh, the the balcony for Plan 42, the aqua ring is like like this you know it makes no yeah. it makes no fucking sense but it is terrifying for someone like me who has an issue with underwater areas and sharks um but it's also it's you uh, know yeah it's it's incredible and then even um the the both spaces you fight the snake i think moving the sn- uh, second yawn fight to the library was a genius choice it's 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 a good it's a good call it's a really good call i do wish you could have opened the door to the second floor of the mansion from there yeah. instead of having to fucking backtrack yeah. But that was- uh, also, um, the secondary point for visually, why does the library have a ladder, but not like just a staircase to get to the second floor of that library? It was built in the because 60s and Oswald Spencer is an asshole. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. I'm like, he can't even get up there. <laughs> he doesn't Spencer need to get can't up even there. Spencer can't even enjoy his own books. <laughs> he sent one of his servants up there. Yep. Let's see I where guess. is I actually have a. It note. just increases my thought of him as uh, Mr. Burns. <laughs> I mean, it, it does. Yeah, it does increase that. Like I recently, like there was like an article, um, I think just today about like the the remake, and they were talking about the yawn fight, but then like they mistakenly said, "Oh yeah, you fight him more times," and I was like, "No, you don't. You fight him you twice. You fight him the same amount of times as the original. It's just mm-hmm. that the the location for the second fight is shifted." Mm-hmm. You still fight him the same amount of times. Technically, you only fight him once. You can you can actually only fight him once. Well, yeah. Just in doing so, you lose one of the best shotguns in the game. If you're playing as Jill, right? Does that not happen? Um, if you avoid it, you can't avoid it with Chris, right? Because he, he no, doesn't because... get the shotgun until the aqua ring. Yeah, you yeah. can avoid it. You can avoid it as Chris. Yeah. If okay. uh, yeah, no, that's if I recall. In fact, if you, it's you, guys... you should avoid him as Chris. I think you guys, I, God, I have to look up the file because I sold the file for that. But when I streamed it in 2016, I'm pretty sure that, um, I'm pretty sure we avoided that. We didn't get, you know, cause, uh, yeah, cause Richard doesn't come back for that segment. He gets set yeah. aside. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like when I replayed it, I, I fought Yon. So it was a different, you know, 
different set of circumstances. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh. I mean, I, I do like that each area is still pretty much got like a designated giant animal boss. You get mm. the snake. Yep. You get you get the spider. You get the shirk. You get the shirk. You get which I mean, I mean you also get plant. Plant. You also get the nude yep. naked guy. And well, I mean the real the real monster is man at the end, which tracks. It tracks very much. Uh, before we move away from yawn, does anyone else feel bummed out he doesn't melt anymore when he dies? Yeah. No. A little bit. Oh. Just a little. Uh, but then I also get to boop his snoot. <laughs> By stabbing him with a knife. By kicking him. <laughs> oh, Take man. that. Uh, I mean, uh, okay, also, like, interesting little thing that happened to me the last time I was playing. I killed a spider and forgot that it can still poison you after it's dead. Yeah, yeah. Whoops. I'm trying to remember, do the spiders in the remake, when you kill them, do they release dozens of little spiders? Not as often, no. Not a, no, not okay. as often, but they do. Yeah, because those those spiders. Uh, yeah, dish. but like, yeah, like um, Black Tiger definitely does, mm-hmm. or at least did the last time I fought it. God, I'm just right. trying to visual that. A lot I'm, of the normal ones. Yeah, I, I, I don't think uh, I try not to think about it. But. Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm crunching my my headphone cable. I should probably relax and not do that. <clears throat> We're all arachnophobes here, folks. All right, so uh, I think that should lead us into talking about. Uh, the other like big additional monster, Lisa Trevor. Mm-hmm. I thought you were going to say her father. And George Trevor, history's greatest monster. Mm-hmm. Do, have we described on the pod why we feel why why this is kind of an RN joke? I uh, I, I just started saying that because of like all of the stuff that he designed and like just completely just, ridiculous. And it's not just the Spencer estate. No. He also, also like just, the, sorry, go on. The, the Spencer estate gets rebuilt like at least two other separate times. Spencer makes his own version in Europe and Ashford's make their own version in the Antarctic. And then and then you get to Revelations one and the boats. The boats. The, Plural. The boats. Plural. Boats. Yeah. And and we and we even have suspicions that given the amount of stuff in raccoon city that was that's so similarly bonkers that there's definitely there's, def- there's some connection there that's why so any so whenever we see some weird let's not forget delvi though <laughs> mm. yeah. there's a connection there yeah it's like the little references in re7 is that the the shadow puzzles were installed by uh and trevor and chamberlain in the early 90s no, obviously it couldn't be George Trevor because he was long, long dead. But it could certainly be a relative that survived, like a cousin or brother, sister, something, so, uncle. So before we go any further, though, um, George Trevor was an architect who had a bit of a penchant for mixing in puzzles into his designs. And he's hired by Oswald E. Spencer to design the Arclay Estate. Well, he does, and is invited with his family to visit the estate. He couldn't make it initially, having to meet a previous client. 
But he gets there a few days later to find out his wife and daughter have moved on. Not actually realizing they've been captured and used as subjects in Spencer's experiments. George escapes into the grounds, but gets lost and can't remember everything he's added or things have been changed around by Spencer. And he meets his death at his own headstone. So, George Trevor, a small impact, a small part of the story, huge impact on the games. That that mm-hmm. part always kills me because it's not even like really his grave. It's it's Spencer like giving him another fucking prank. It's like, haha, look at your grave. But like, there's a button there, George. Just press the button. It leads to a ladder into the basement. God, Trevor. Mm-hmm. Oh, great. He's get dead, dumbass. jerk. <laughs> it scared him. It scared him to it's death It's just there. like the Red Foreman, like that 70s show thing, like, dumbass. But uh, I, Lisa Trevor and her mother would be injected with one of the, uh, with two of the first strains of the progenitor virus. Uh, Lisa's mother would, event, would die almost immediately, but Lisa would be one of the few people to survive exposure to that virus and to the T-virus and a whole lot of other viruses. Mm-hmm. There's three stooges of viruses. Basically three... St- <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> nice. So what you're saying is she's immortal. No, in fact, the slightest breeze could... Immortal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this cute little cuddle bug here is pancre- pancreatic cancer. I mean, they uh, just, they kept doing it. They just kept like, piling on new viruses on top of, on top of viruses, on top of viruses on her. And I think at one stage they even give her a parasite. They do. They, they do. It's, they, it's, it's the, the nemesis uh, parasite. It is. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, um, I'm, I'm looking at it right now because you can, so for our listeners out there, you can actually track down the uh, Wesker's Report 2. So if you want to, if you would like to know more. Uh, you can go track that down because there's and actually the version that's on the fandom.com Resident Evil wiki uh, has three different has two different English translations as well as the original script in Japanese if you like to translate it yourself. So, yeah, it's got details like that. But the the big interesting le- you know thing that ends up happening because of this is because um, because of these events around some point in the mid in the 1990s. Um, or I guess at some point, you know, during these experiments on Lisa is where William Birkin begins to see the roots of what will become the G virus in Lisa and the way that the, the, um, uh, just kind of the way that everything sort of, I don't know, congeals or coalesces. And it's, it's just, it's always something that's been interesting to me about the lore, about how it all comes back to this one, partly it comes back to this one character and then also how it's such a. Well, she is patient zero. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Um, but, and a completely um, innocent teenager. Oh, totally. I think she was even eleven when she was infected. Jesus, I, possible. I thought she was a. I thought she was a teenager. Wow. Yeah. But um, all the oh, viruses. Uh, hang on, all hang on, the hang on. Okay, the Capcom USA translation. According to the report, she was at the research center from the very moment it was first built. She was twenty-five, but we didn't know her name or know why she was here. She was used. She was to be used as the experimental subject host for the T virus. The day we began the experiment was November tenth, nineteen sixty-seven. They did T-virus experiments on her for all of 11 years. So she was 25 when uh, Birkin and Wesker arrived, right? 
Mm, yeah, roughly around there when they were. So eleven years should be about fourteen. Okay, there we go. Math. Yeah, Thank yeah. You. There we go. But um, this kind of the side effect of all these viruses being tested on her was that Lisa became incredibly strong, near invulnerable, had massive regenerative capabilities, and also completely and utterly batshit insane. To the point where she fixated on having her mother. And when the Umbrella researchers tried to calm her by having an assistant go in there to calm her down, she killed the assistant and ripped off her face. Mm-hmm. Fake mommy. Mm-hmm. Fake mommy. Mommy issues to the extreme. Yep. yep. And and the way that you deal with her when you do have like your final confrontation with her is to open up the uh, casket with her mom's corpse inside. And then she just picks up her head, says mother, and jumps away. Yeet. I mean, that's that's a different weird thing all on its own. But Yeah. Not actually the end of Lisa Trevor, though. Oh, no. She's... <sighs> Spoilers, but in the Umbrella Chronicles... It is the Umbrella Chron- Chronicles, isn't it? Yes, it is. Yeah. Albert Wesker is trying to escape the mansion before it explodes. And he is the last person to come in contact with Lisa Trevor, leading to a fight. In the mansion entrance, I think. Mm. Yeah, she, she pursues him all the way from, like, the underground... Uh, to the entrance of the mansion yeah. at the end. Where he traps her under a chandelier, yeets out of there as the place explodes. Which is it, a... It's a very Western little, thing. Yeah, I mean, also like a more depressing ending for her. There was never going to be a happy ending for her. That's true. Yeah, but it's like you would... In a classic scenario, you would hope that she would actually kill him because he's kind of closer to one of her, you know, creators. Abusers, than, yeah. Yeah, abusers, mm-hmm. creators, and like, say, you know, Chris and Jill, who are, you know, also there out of, like, terrible circumstance. He's a villain. She should be able to get him, but she can't because... He's, 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 well. he's the, the player is playing as him, yeah. Yeah, and it's not the role that, like she can play in the series so like that as like you you like that they have a confrontation but you kind of hate how it ends because it feels bad man kind of Mm -hmm. point though at the end of the day wesker succeeds he gets whatever information he wants his enemies think he's dead he Mm. can go into a a degree of anonymity and just start building up what will eventually be the force that takes on the Rockford Estate. Yeah, the um, the hairy creature. Um, I okay. Everything that I'm trying to come up with for HCF is going in a very weird direction. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna finish that. Um, I don't know. Harry. Those guys. <laughs> I the first thing that's coming to mind is hemorrhoids. Harry Cooper. <laughs> Harry Cooper foundries. Yes. <laughs> Hemorrhoid They're carrier cranky. force. Oh, no, that's worse. That's way worse. <laughs> Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like it it makes it it makes everything that happened to Wesker like yeah, he he totally he totally won that round. Mhm. Although speaking of Wesker, I do want to point out that Chris Redfield manages to do what nobody else did in the entire series. 
and really get under Wesker's skin. And I'm, yeah. it's going to be very quick. At the end of the game, where Wesker captures Chris in his scenario, he takes him to look at Tyrant. When Wesker explains it, Chris actually laughs at him and calls him pathetic. He's the only person in the franchise to ever get that reaction out of Wesker, and it's why Wesker hates him. Mm-hmm. He laughed at me that one time. Well, I'll get him. Damn you, Redfield. I despise Chris. Yeah. It's actually very interesting is that the uh, the voice actor for uh, Wesker in this game, uh, Peter Jessup, uh, he was best known to me as a vision on uh, Avengers Earth's Mightiest Heroes. Oh my god, that's right. I was wondering why that name was familiar. Yeah, and I was like, oh man, that is... And and after that, I just I started hearing it. I was like, oh yeah, I can definitely hear it. I I like Wesker's performance a lot in this, like in remake specifically. I think he has a really good, uh, a really good line between like at the beginning, seeming more just like a cool under pressure leader, mm. which then turns into very cold and like clinically sinister towards the end. He's also the uh, voice of Sovereign in Mass Effect. Oh, Holy wow. shit. That's... I, wow. I'm looking that up. Yes, yeah, Sovereign and a whole bunch of other characters. Holy cow. Man. And uh, yeah. Mirak in the Dragonborn DLC for Skyrim. Hmm. And also, Which... I just noticed uh, Paladin Dance. <laughs> <laughs> Dance. Oh, oh wow. Well, that's neat. So, Learn um, something new every day. Yeah. But Lisa Trevor kind of ends up going back subtly, though. <laughs> Lisa Trevor is kind of like the first victim of Umbrella. And it's kind of fitting that she dies where she suffered. Mm. But it, of, of course, it's also heartbreaking because this is a young girl who was on the verge of becoming a young woman never got that chance she was tortured abused and made into a monster and she she will not get justice until 2019's Resident Evil uh, 5 when Wesker Mm. is killed and even then Wesker is not the first person to uh, test her all the other researchers died at the Arkley incident right I mean, Far it's like out, you got Birkin, you got Birkin Wesker, and all of like the Arclay staff mm-hmm. that are really like the the core people that mm-hmm. were dealing with her. But like, also they they tortured her for years with that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, years over yeah. and over and over again. Like, yeah, like over a decade's worth of horrible experimentation. And then when they felt that they'd finally gotten everything they could out of her, they dispose her. Yeah. And it doesn't work, but they thought that they, they threw her away. Like, yeah, they just you know casually just toss her out. She was no longer a person to them. She's just a sample, one mm-hmm. to be disposed of. But what's it's also a- disheartening is that the one person behind all her suffering doesn't get justice. He just gets killed. He isn't brought to justice. He isn't taken to court. He's an old man who gets his heart ripped out by Wesker. 
Yeah, that is a bummer. Yeah. It's a... I mean, the, the whole thing with, with Spencer does feel like a bummer, kind of a, a letdown. It, it does. I, I, it's not just her. It's every person who suffered in Raccoon mm-hmm. City. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like over 100,000 people. It's it, the Spencer thing is definitely something I'd love to get into at some point because it's because when I like, you know, I, I'm going to briefly touch again on Resident Evil 5 is that I it was weird that that was the one I disconnected from the franchise and like didn't play for like two years, three years, I think, because I don't think I even bought it until after uh, after Downcast was shot. So that would have been like after that would have been 2012 sometime. Yeah. And despite the fact that it has all of these story elements that are pivotal to this part of the you know what we're talking about now the history and it's always bugged me that it doesn't feel like it resolved and even like as we've done these different remakes and things like that it's not become a very consistent through line to see this guy's influence like they try to drop these hints and it's it's interesting also in this context of coming back to lisa and the spencer state and things like that like you know as we were pointing out the way that he sort of immortalizes you know, possibly, you know, this, yeah. this is being a potential headcanon of him immortalizing Lisa as the 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 saint of resurrection and the and the unkill and immortality, you know, the way that it's, you know, that she was this, you know, because we we think of also the you think of like sainthood and how saints have to die and to suffer to reach that level of divinity or we think, of, you know, and I, I will get, I'll be very sparse discussing this. Just I, just a little bit there. Uh, saints actually have to have prove a saint will actually be only granted if there's been a proven miracle. Okay, thank you. Okay, so that's if, that's if someone suffers, they become a martyr. That's Sorry right. there. Yep. No, that's 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 cool. Th- I I thank you for that distinction, the the correction there, because I I've uh, it's one of those things I just I I didn't I I don't have that much of a background in that, so. As we talk about like lo- like logic things and coming back to the elements of how like the remake has a certain internal logic and it's kind of interesting with Lisa to see a subversion of those elements and those thematic or kind of the gratification elements of the story in done in ways that are actually kind of a little more rooted in yeah but in the real world things shit just happens characters these people just die there is justice not really being served or in the case of as we're really kind of discussing now wesker wins you know which is is interesting that you know there there's the sam raimi had the three crucial rules of horror that he 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 explained to a conversation of joel and ethan cohen um the innocent must suffer the guilty must be punished and the hero must taste blood to be a man and uh he also suggested the fourth law which is that the dead must walk which is um obviously can be interpreted in many different ways and (laughs) what's interesting about that is that we have the first rule and the other two are sort of discarded you know the third is i guess sort of live up to by the player's experience in resident evil because you know you have to lose you have to die or you have to you have to kill you have to slay the monster to reach a sense of empowerment but it just i don't know it just intrigues me to to think of this in these contexts and then also realize that there's the plus and minus of it. Lisa doesn't get sort of her closure because Barry even states in the scene with Jill and Barry taking, you know, facing her at the at her mother's uh, tomb that I don't think that thing is really dead. You know, that he even, you know, Barry doesn't believe that she's fully gone. And when the place blows up, there's still a chance there's a further cave system that she's 
still alive in. Um, yeah. And well, she's trapped under a chandelier. Right. Or it's trapped under the chandelier in Umbrella Chronicles. Cause, and I, the reason why I make the distinction is because in Umbrella Chronicles, the, the canonization of that is kind of, they haven't integrated all of it yet, but it's like, it's, mm-hmm. it, it's very much like they pick out the pieces. So we don't know. So it could, it's, it's true. It could be that she ends up under a chandelier and then gets blown up. Or anyway. she could be still out there. And she could be out there somewhere. It, now I'm just imagining waiting, well, waiting for new revenge, new, either new revenge, which would be awesome if they did a, a, as we've talked about the idea of a new raccoon city where they rebuild it in the crater of what was left. <laughs> and then kids go out into the forest and hear these sounds of chains. And it leads to all these ghost stories around the campfire about, you know, the story of Lisa Trevor. Um, that should make a, interesting sequel i don't know if it'd be great but that'd be fun but well they'd all be wearing radiation suits that's true that wasn't well i'm still not entirely sure if that's even like if that's accurate anymore (laughs) or if it was i was always confused about how radioactive it was yeah because that's when they destroyed raccoon city when they destroyed raccoon city right yeah because it's the imagery of the mushroom cloud but i remember hearing there's some version i want to say where they it's not a nuke it's a uh uh, it's like a firebomb. Yeah. Like, it's like a purifier bomb, essentially. Thermal yeah. barrack bomb. Right. Yeah. And I don't know. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. anyway, sorry, I, I got to I mean, I up. mean, I I was thinking in terms of how um, Umbrella Corps kind of makes it sound <laughs> like Wesker is alive again. So, Lisa, you still got your chance for revenge. <laughs> Go get him. Get him. On who, though? Whoever that guy is now. Get him. <laughs> Just get him. Just get, get go get go get go get a girl. Go go get your vengeance on. So, but also like um, George Trevor created like extra rooms that yeah. he didn't tell anybody about, and that cracks me up. Yeah, um, George Trevor, I think, because from what I've read, there was this kind of school of architecture where it was very in vogue to add secret rooms, either for because the client requested them or just because. It was something fun to do. So it's a bit like um, if you ever look at, say, that image. I forget the artist. It's one of the Renaissance painters. It's Adam reaching out to God. Mm. And if you look at the image of God, it's the human brain. Mm. So it's one of those. It's one of those artistic mm. flares. So you know, finding like a room where. Oh hey, this plinth spins round. That's a George Trevor thing. So there's very much that school of architecture which was popular, and you saw it a lot in like um, plantation homes or houses in Europe at the time. Kind of popular for about 200, 250 years. Then it starts dropping off by the midpoint of the century. So. I could kind of see George Trevor just like getting this lord to say, hey, I'm building a house in the United States. I want you to design it for me. And just like, oh, yeah, great. It's like, by the way, I want some very discreet security systems, so extra rooms or some puzzles, if you don't mind. Just like, ka-ching! Oh, boy, my aesthetic. (laughs) Oh, boy. Oh, boy, indeed. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. I I do appreciate that the entire thing about the Trevor family still does 
very much humanize Umbrella's victims and mm. and gives them a very specific story and a specific tragedy. So like you can emotionally get invested in like, wow, yeah, no, these guys really fucking suck. Yeah, it gives them a face, or in Lisa's case, about five or six of them. Yeah. <laughs> That's good, sir. Yeah. That's a good yeah. one. Accurate. Nice. But um there are quite a few characters in both the remake and the original game. We're not gonna be covering all of them because there's more in-depth appearances from them in other games. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So at this point, I think we're only going to be covering Joseph Frost, who's going to get about one paragraph. Because he is Joseph. Yeah. Um, Richard Eichen, just because of how important he is. And I... Th- who who else would we say? Rebecca or Enrico? Um, uh, we were going to talk about Rebecca, but like a little bit just in uh, yeah. context in, in Remake 1, because it's oh. a very different mm-hmm. character than in Zero. Yeah, and right. I think we're going to have a short bit about Barry. Right. Yeah, because he's, yeah. he's Barry. Yeah, and it's and also it just did, what this all speaks to especially is that the increase in the quality of the, the writing and the cutscenes and the performances really allowed in the remake that the characters are able to connect a lot more. And, you know, as you know, I think as we're saying, like even like talk about Joseph, like the fact that we get consistent expressions on his face and like he gets he gets to be the guy with the video camera on his shoulder that goes into the helicopter to find Kevin's corpse, you know. And yeah. Kevin's new, by the way. Um that was uh, Yeah, yeah, Kevin is new. Yeah. That they, was, realized they only had one helicopter pilot for two teams. Uh, right, uh, well, they had two helicopter pilots, but it also was because Dewey was supposed to have been the original pilot in the original. Mm-hmm. Um, but what happened yeah. was that they wanted to get Dewey to survive for Resident Evil Zero, so they had to add Kevin, who I think technically works because I think if you because there was a long time ago there was the discussion of who is that mysterious extra person in the stars photo in Resident Evil Two. Uh, so, oh yeah, the the one stars member you could not identify. Exactly. So yeah. it's not Rebecca because she's taking the picture. Yeah, right, right. I'm, in, but, I'm um, not in the picture. <laughs> Hi, I'm not in this. We'll get the fastest out of the way, Joseph. Yes. So, very snappy little, bandana. Yeah. <laughs> not great with dogs. No. But um, no, he 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 loved the wrong puppy. There's not a lot of information about him, just because he dies so quickly. He dies in the intro. But what little information we do have is that he's actually good friends with Chris Redfield and Forrest Spire. Mm-hmm. Buds. Often going out for drinks with them. So you can imagine the effect his death would have on Chris. Because he's he's not only lost one friend, he's lost both his best friends. Mm-hmm. Or at least it's kind of his two... The people that like you see the most at work, like you know, you get that certain yeah. rapport, you know, in he's the workplace, two, right? Work, he's two best work buds, exactly. Yeah, you know, and especially when you're working in this kind of field, I mean, there is there's a sense of life and death and danger and things like that, and so these are the people you trust, you bond with because you want to go do the right thing, you want to be the cop, or you want to be the hero, and these are the people that are going to help you in those messes. There, you know, it's like there's that rush of camaraderie of, man, we're going to go save the world together, and oh no, so-and-so can't save the world with me, this doesn't feel right, that they're gone, no. Chris, I, I just want to say that your little thing there was probably longer than Farce was on the screen. <laughs> or Joseph. Yeah. Both of them, in fact. 
<laughs> I, so, I I do appreciate that you're able to find Forrest. Um, and I mean, I don't appreciate that the remake kind of sticks you with one dangerous zombie mode um, and you can't turn it off. So fuck you, Forrest, on that on that level. But the the entire area and having him come back like that is is still really cool, though. Yeah, it's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which very moody area. Yeah, mm. better than the um, patchy slot though, which is where. Oh, good lord! Oh, fucking hell! Yeah, the less we say about the better. Hmm. Yep. Uh, let's let's just yeah. move on to talk about Richard. Yeah, yeah. R- Richard. Yeah, yeah. I'm excited to talk about this one. Of, of Richard. Every, every character in that game, though, in the remake, Richard's probably the one who gets the most work. Hmm. Just because. In the original game, he's essentially a timed mission. When you find him, you have to get the anti-venom to save his life. And then he just gives you a radio and dies. If you don't, he dies. And I'm still trying to remember, do you get the radio off him? You do. Yeah. He, he mm-hmm. dies no matter what, and you get the radio off him. Yeah. Yep. You just you lose out in a cutscene. Yeah, basically. In the remake, they really beef up his character. He goes from being the radio guy to possibly the heart of the team. Mm-hmm. He's also got quite possibly one of the most tragic backgrounds in the stars team. It makes me sad every time I think about it. Yeah, his uh, younger sister was murdered in front of him. And it's had an effect on him where if he finds he is a big brother to someone... Like, older than them on the team, he takes on a big brother role for them. Which in this case is probably Rebecca. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's... Yeah. But the heroic nature of Richard is that he will do whatever he can to save someone's life. He never wants to see them die in front of him again. And he actually does that quite tragically in the remake. If you're playing as Jill... Richard will help you against Yawn in the second fight. And as Yawn rushes to attack Jill, is it the second fight or is it the first fight? It's the first it's, one. It's the first, first fight, fight in the yeah. attic. Yeah, first fight in the attic, sorry. Yawn will actually go to attack Jill. Richard will push her out of the way and get killed by Yawn instead. Mm. In Chris's scenario... It's the fight against Neptune. Neptune's about to attack Chris. Richard pushes him out of the way and he gets eaten by the shark. But it speaks a lot about Richard and the sacrifice he'd actually make for people he cares about. That despite being sick, possibly even dying, he just throws him he throws himself in front of them to protect them. And this is basically the guy in charge of communications. Mm-hmm. Good guy. Yeah, as we were saying before, I think you you brought this up last last time, Paul. Was that you know the Bravo team, you know, really is your support team. They're the ones that are you know behind the line, and so this is a guy who is when confronted with I'm now on the front lines of what's going on. He is without hesitation he doesn't back down. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And um, 
And and this the other interesting thing I think part of the reason we're pointing this pointing out how much we like Richard about how his characters evolved. I mean, obviously we really liked how he evolved just in the remake itself. But what was mm-hmm. interesting was of all things, Resident Evil Umbrella Chronicles, the the gun game, has a wonderful scenario where you get to play as uh, Rebecca in the mansion before the before the Reds of Resident Evil One, a Resident Evil remake, I guess whatever the case, and you know. Yeah, before before the Alpha team arrives, and you get to have Richard and and Rebecca as as partners going through the mansion together, and that material, the writing is really good. The uh, the the voice mm-hmm. acting is very good. It's very like it adds those extra layers to the point that it's like if they are you know if any time we ever see a Resident Evil one remake or another adaptation in any order any medium, if it's a book or it's a movie or it's a comic or whatever, it's like there's always I think for at least for me speaking for myself, there's gonna be a little extra sting when Richard goes down because like now we know yeah. more about him. He's got this better backstory and all of that. And yeah, and it, I mean, I love his reaction now when he gets injected with the serum is uh, it's like, does it ever not hurt? you know that <laughs> that reaction I like that, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like um there's a lot of stuff about uh, Umbrella Chronicles that isn't great and uh canonically feels kind of weird, but the nightmare scenarios with Rebecca and Richard are are great and they feel like they fit within the remake and just add to the character and I think that's like the best kind of stuff that you can have. Yeah. Which is why we we like how they expanded uh Richard's character. It's like it just it really it gave him more and it gave him a a moment where you really get to connect with him and then yeah. feel bad that he's gone. And to make you even feel even worse, there is a letter from Richard to his girlfriend. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's so sad. Oh, man. It, probably, it bums me up. Probably the only character from the Saras team I actually feel sorry gets killed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the one like, like I, I feel the most... It is genuinely sad that he he dies like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the yeah. others they don't they don't flesh out quite as much. I'm I'm sad about Kenneth though because he's just also he's a chemist. He's not yeah. He's mm-hmm. not made to do like to get into the middle of these like fights and like a zombie just like comes right at him and that's it. I mean the fact that he actually survived through the night. Ni- yeah, two nights. Yeah. And then he gets killed just as his backup. Two rooms away. Mm-hmm. That that really bums me out. It's it's very much like a classic um like slasher or like horror movie yeah. where the your friend is like literally one room away and like is like yelling out for like your help and you can't hear them or you're too far or you're yeah. not you're just not there in time and you just see the aftermath and it's it is a huge bummer. It, it's kind of like. You you can see into the room. There's there's uh, two mirror. There's not mirrors. There's two windows. You you can see into the other room just fine. You just turn your head away just that last second, just as it all goes down. Mm-hmm. It's like oh god no no. But I mean, like as I did say though, the Stars Bravo team probably had no right being out there. They're chemists and technical experts. They're rear echelon. They're like, they should be the ones back at base or coming in when the area's been secured. Mm-hmm. That's what I was thinking too, is the alpha team secures yeah. like a landing zone and they set up a base of operations. And Not not even that, Chris. 
that's that's military thinking. Like they're cops. Yeah. You clear the area, and then you bring in the crime scene guys. Yeah, that's right. As we were thinking, it'd be more like a police raid if they knew where the house was, you know, which they don't. Yeah. But they're looking in the area. But yeah, it's reconnaissance. Did I even, they find did out I where even it look is. For the house, you know, they're just yeah. looking for like cannibals. Yeah, yeah. They're looking they're for not, the Manson family and not realizing the fucking viral apocalypse is going on in a hidden mansion. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, that's how it goes. Um, so moving on, then, uh, who shall we take on next? Well, uh, there's Rebecca. Yeah, Rebecca. And, you know, one of the things I, I love about Rebecca's, at least, at the very least, as we're saying, like this adds this level of tragedy in the way that these elements are executed is that Rebecca, you know, got that change from, um, you know, being very, you know, meek uh, to be, you know, as in she was a squealy damsel in distress. And so here, although she definitely still gets in jeopardy the same way she does in the first game, uh, which leads to Resident Evil Zero problems, which we'll we'll get to that. Um, apparently, well, actually, just just before you go on though, I do want to point out Rebecca is a badass in Resident Evil Zero, but by the time Chris meets her in the remake, she's probably running on fumes. She hasn't slept in two days. She's an eighteen-year-old who's been through traumatic experiences, and whatever adrenaline she's been pumped up on probably drained away hours ago oh yeah yeah certainly um to- totally totally agree yeah this it, i i'm I, my point is more of the per i guess the perception of the the character more than anything just because it's a because the, the point i'm actually trying to get at is how apparently um the when they were balancing out the characters for the remake and the changes they were going to make um Mikami wanted, you know, he understood that Resident Evil Zero was still probably going to happen. So he wanted to kind of beef up her role and make her at the very least more resilient so that she's not, you know, crumbling apart, you know, in, into nothing to, you know, just be like, oh, no, you know, um, the interesting thing is apparently some of the writers and some of the staff at the studio at the company thought that they wanted they wanted to keep Rebecca in that because they thought that made her cute, that made her this likable, like damsel in distress sort of thing. Um I guess what I mean is like the as I think Vanessa, you know, this is kind of your moment to mention what you had thought about with uh regards to rescuing Rebecca and Chris's scenario in the remake. <laughs> well, it it's just that uh you you you're in the uh the first floor and you've just unlocked one of the rooms and you you're you're going in there trying to like turn on the light and rifle things things and you hear like Rebecca going like, ah and like, oh no. And it's like, oh no, Rebecca's in danger. I better go save her. And she doesn't even use her handgun. And I know she has it. I know she has a handgun. I know that you. it's hard to fight a hunter with a handgun, but she doesn't even aim it at him. She just kind of trips and falls over like near the door and you have to save her. And it, and it's just like, oh God, why did I throw away my grenade launcher? I had two magnums yesterday. Oh, why did I give them to Billy Damn it, Rebecca. <laughs> Damn, Damn it, Billy me. Like Chris is just I like, mean, who's Billy Cohen? <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, Chris goes like, who's that? And she goes, nobody. My cat. Shut up. <laughs> I mean, what, what struck me um, about Rebecca as a character in, in Remake, which I do think at least works uh, in tandem with RE0, is that especially after Richard dies, she, she's very subdued. She gets yeah. very tired and just, you can tell she's 
worn out and exhausted by everything that is happening. I think she's kind of at that point where she realizes she's the last member of the Bravo team. Yeah, yeah. like she yeah. is legitimate. Like she breaks down and cries, and it's it's a very genuine moment. And she's just like, okay, all right, you know what? I I have to keep going. It's fine. And after that, it's it is pretty much like, well, I found out there's like a whole bunch of T virus here. I think we should blow up the place. And I'm like, well, maybe not, but okay. That's collected a little thing called evidence. Right. I mean, maybe maybe not, Rebecca, but okay. I know I know you've been through a lot. Sure. It's been a rough couple of days, but you know, we have a job to do. Yeah. That includes but like, collecting evidence. I, I appreciate that she she does come across as someone who has been through the ringer and is just very tired and at the end. She's running fumes. Yeah. Right, right, exactly. But um, yeah. before we move on, I just do want to point out one of my favorite lines in the original game is I was performing, ma- it was from her saying, I was performing maintenance on the helicopter. Yeah. Uh, right before yeah. we crashed. Yeah, to be- uh, the, but to be pedantic, the the exact line because this is because I'm glad you're bringing this up. It's a silly line, even especially in its real form. It, exactly what it is. I serviced the helicopter recently, but something went wrong with the engine. People died, Rebecca. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, Rebecca. Yeah, I, I, we were commenting on this uh, last time about um, Mikami having pretty much noticed right away that not caring about the voice acting was um was a big mistake and i guess that was a big push for this one was he really wanted to make the story and characters you know be good it's not a case of having bad taste it's just that he didn't care and then or he thought he didn't care and it's like ah, i'm gonna rectify i'm gonna do my best to rectify that so yeah and at Rebe- least in the remake Re- rebecca's no longer the supposed mechanic of their their helicopter yeah the it fixes it fixes a localization because for folks to know that's a lo- it was apparently a localization error because if you look at the original japanese subtitle which is meant to be the original line that the writers wrote um it it's that i know it was serviced recently or someone fixed it re- it was repaired recently it's like roughly that and yeah that's that's entirely different yeah so although i just want to say i wouldn't put it past the incompetence the rpd that they get the medical expert to perform maintenance on machinery. Mm. <laughs> it's a very it's a very Brian Irons thing, isn't it? Yeah. Damn you stars. Ah, <laughs> uh, damn you irons. Yeah. And uh you bastard. Kind of just moving on to the most meme-tastic member of stars, Barry Burton. Barry. He has this. He's uh, the master of unlocking. <laughs> unlocking our hearts because we adore him. And maker of sandwiches. And maker I sandwich. love that I love that the original is still technically in canon in the sense that like they keep making fun of Barry's bad jokes. Especially in Revelations 2. Oh yeah. yeah like uh, it's like, oh, oh, okay. So the things he said in one are still canon. They're just ridiculous, and everybody knows it. That's, I love that so much. Uh, you know, I love one of the things I actually love in the the way they kind of amplify the performances in Barry is there really is a God. He looks haunted 
through so much of the experience. Like, even though he's like, yeah, he's, you know, I mean, obviously he's reacting to situations that are being thrown at him, but that there's also this sense of dread and the way they like designed his face and like the way they give him those like gaunt eyes. Like, it looks like he has, Wesker's been probably working him for weeks and, you know, that's, that's something. That's the face of a man who realizes his family are in mortal danger. Mm-hmm. Exactly. He. It looks like he has not slept well in a while and he's been, yeah, he's, he's, yeah, he's trying to think every decision carefully and not emotionally react or give away what's going on. Um, and, uh, and so like, I especially love this, the way that they redid the scene in the guardhouse when um, Jill hears him talking from behind the door. It's got that great split, split, uh, uh, oh, split yeah. screenshot over the door and then um and then when they even actually come in there's actually okay speaking of camera angles i wanted to point this out uh people can look for this they actually were able to get one moving camera angle apparently there's a second one somewhere uh according to the cutscene director but that uh the camera actually dollies across from left to right um so they had to pre-render the background and move the camera in time with that in the in-game camera at the same time. So that's, that's a cool touch. Anyway, I like that that scene, though, you know, he buries more overtly. He's actually more, you know, suspicious, but you also can feel like he's conflicted. Like, I really appreciate those mm-hmm. th- that that detail. and uh, That really comes across. Barry's the kind of guy you feel like lying does not come naturally to him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's he's an honest man. But this is a man who has a connection to every star's member. He's been lifelong friends with Enrico. Oh, God, I forgot about that. Yeah. He's known Chris Redfield for years and personally recruited him. Given the fact that he is a bit of a gun enthusiast, I would not be surprised if he's friends with uh, Forrest, who was regarded as one of the better snipers on the team, despite the fact that Chris is the better sniper. He's got a connection with the with every Stars member and probably treats the younger members like his kids. God, yeah. So yeah. the fact that he's betraying so many of them, that's probably haunting him, and it's probably haunted him years afterwards, despite the fact that straight away, when Jill finds out what's going on, she instantly forgives him and doesn't hold it against him. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that's if he choose to save his life, right? yeah. Which is, in, which is also another interesting thing in the remake as well. That sequence, yeah. you actually, yeah, to it's to save very life. well done. So the fact is that Barry is probably one of the people you would want in that situation. Somebody looking out for you, making sure you're okay, and he can't do that because Wesker's fed him this lie that. If he doesn't help him, he'll kill his wife and kids. And bear in mind, Barry's daughters are probably under the age of ten. Mm-hmm. I believe. Yeah, so. I think at that yeah at that point they were, I believe. So you you can see like even if it's just like something Wesker said to him the instant they got into the mansion, all that that's weighing on him. He is probably going through the worst night of his life. The guy's yeah. a wreck by the end. Oof. Yep. And that's why I'm so glad canonically he doesn't die. Because I'm just imagining, because there's, I, I was so bummed the very first time I played Resident Evil 1 and beat it. I had, because of the walkthrough I was using, it's the one where Barry dies. Mm. Yeah, that happened to me too, originally. Um, I got him 
Uh, the difference between the remake and the original, uh, he he can die in different places in the original. So I got him dying in the lab at the very end. Yeah, that's that's yeah. the case for me too. Yeah, just the ladder going yeah. up. That's where he died for me. Yeah, and it was just like, and you find like, and this is in the remake as well. You find uh, the the photograph of him and his family, mm-hmm. and like the letter on the back of it, and it's just so sad. Yeah. Oh, that's rough. Yeah. If if Richard's death is meant to break your heart, Barry's is meant to just rip out the heartstrings. Mm -hmm. It just it just crushes it. It's like, oh, you you felt bad about Richard. Well, get ready for Barry. (laughs) The lovable family man dies before he can escape. Mm -hmm. Oh God. Yeah, that is why I'm very happy he survives. Yep. I genuinely wish there was a canon scenario, like a version that you got to see all of them interacting yeah. with each other. No, no, you don't want to do that. Players want choices. They they don't want canon. They they want to know that none of it matters because it's just going to be fine in the next game. And, and gameplay, people that play games for stories, don't be silly. Chris, Chris, how hard are you trying not to throw up right now? <laughs> how bitter are you? I, uh... <laughs> The bile is deep, but it's coming up. Oh, boy. <laughs> okay, somebody get a bucket. Oh, God. Um, well, Barry's still alive, though, so. Yeah. But I, I, I do love the fact that they keep referencing Barry throughout the series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, people were so, so excited when uh, the Mercenaries DLC for 5 uh, came out and it had Barry and Rebecca in it. Mm-hmm. People were, like, yeah. so happy about that. I One of my too. favorite things is um, in Revelations 2 where Barry uses a demolition ball to break open a door and he's just like, guess I'm the master of unlocking now. Oh, God, I forgot <laughs> I that line. That. Oh, I need to play Revelations 2 again. Oh, no. He's like, or, oh, yep, yeah, Barry. Or when um, Claire's nearly crushed, she's like, I was almost a Claire sandwich. And Moyer's just like, he's still going on about that. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, does he have to tell everybody about that? <laughs> I-, I love at the end, at the very, very end with the good ending, he's he does the I have this. Dude, when Phil and I, because I, I don't remember if I, st- I'm pretty sure I streamed it for you guys at the time, but I remember. Yeah, yeah you were. Uh, Phil and I lo- fucking lost it at that. It's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he did it. He said he the, thing the thing we all like. <laughs> We like when character I, do the thing. Yep. Apparently that <laughs> I just I just no, go on, go I was going to say apparently speaking to that note um uh, reportedly the the writer who was brought in to punch up the dialogue and kind of fix the scenario and 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 everything cuz the original writer was long gone um the cuz the American the English translation was done by someone who was a native English speaker and he he was saying to Mikami but but I love the colorful, silly dialogue. This is this is part of why I love the game. And Mikami's like, no, we can't do that again. Are you fucking crazy? <laughs> you know, so absolutely yeah. not. Mikami's not very good at making good decisions. Uh, it's it, it's it, it's a weird. It's a mixed decision because it's like because that is a weird thing. I mean, I'm actually glad I bring this up because because it's a minor point that I feel, and I've, I almost wonder if I should phrase this as a question. Do you pref- do you guys prefer the goofiness of the original or the yes. kind of okay uh yeah i guess because that's the thing i felt like the quality gets better in the remake 
but it is mm-hmm. a tad bland in the way the voice acting is directed or delivered. Like it's sort of it, it sucked a little. It desaturated it just like the color palette. The original is a cheesy Saturday Night B movie. That, yeah. So. Yeah, I I kind of I kind of wish that there was a a meshing of like, I think the actors are good, but that like tweaking the dialogue like they did it did kind of flatten things out yeah. so if you just smashed both of them together take the cheesiness of the original with the seriousness of the remake you've got good areas that can break up the tension you've got good comedic elements that can help relax the player and set them up for the next scary bit so you're basically saying this is like melting cheese on top of your broccoli yes no, I'm saying this is basically melting cheese on top of ham. <laughs> Ooh, oh, even better. Yeah, even better. No, that's way better. Mm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Good, mm. good, good. Mm. I mean, and put melted cheese on stuff, and I'm like, I'm there. But like, <laughs> hot, hot ham and cheese, that is some good stuff. The thing it also reminds me is like in Remake 2, I love you see Leon starting to get his one liners towards the end. Like that, mm-hmm. you know, like when he takes on Birkin. And not what is sense. Three, I think, right? The uh, the one in the lab where after he he gets Annette shoots him with the thing. It's you know that you know the one I'm talking about. It's the second to last fight yeah. with him. It's like yeah. he he has that moment. It's like okay, I can see the action hero of Resident Evil Four starting to come out, but it's natural. He grew up to that point. It's like I feel like that's a better mm-hmm. meshing of the the cheese with the ham. Yeah, no, I I think that the remakes of two and three, uh, writing wise, got a very good handle on on the tone. Do you mean handle? Handle, <laughs> handle. I got a good handle on the tone. Delicious. But I I yeah. still wish we found out what happened to Barry in Chris's scenario. Yeah, that I really. I want to know. I will forever Barry. stick with my head cannon that Barry is in a clearing. In the Arclay Forest, there's a bunch of dead serpents around him, a few dead zombies, and he's making pinecone versions of the stars. <laughs> Headcanon accepted. It's like, you'll never leave me behind, pinecone, Brad. That's right, Barry. I'll never fly away. <laughs> uh, Vanessa, I think you have another one to add to your fan art list. <laughs> I got such a growing list, like Lisa Trevor lighting her billions of candles. Uh, does, does she ever I'm sorry have to go all to this uh, extra work, she... Vanessa? Sorry, what? Does she ever have to go to Ross and get more candles? Obviously. <laughs> I do want to say sorry for all these ideas, Vanessa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, the joke's on you. It's going to take me a long time to have time to get to them. I accept that. Oh boy, but yeah. Um, so I think I, that kind of I think kind of uh, covers everything we wanted to do. I mean, I think that kind of wraps wraps things up though, because I mean, we got to talk about all the characters. We talked about the game flow and everything. Talk about the differences. Uh, I did, think we're good. I, I did find a note. I have a few notes. Um, also, oh, okay. I, I have a question, it. but here. Uh, did anyone notice that George Trevor's diary, the final entry, is on November thirty first? The man had been locked in lost in darkness for days. <laughs> also, m- man found his own grave with a button on it. Couldn't be asked to press the button to leave. I, I think he was in pitch black then because he actually used his last match. To He's leave. like, oh no, 
Oh no, my name. Ah, uh, die. This is like, well, they've got my headstone. I give up. Dead. <laughs> what a oh. wiener. <laughs> I love how much shit we give George Trevor. It's amazing. I'm sorry, I can't help it. He probably doesn't deserve it, but at the he same doesn't. time, he's the world's greatest monster. <laughs> Yeah, it's like he doesn't, but also at the same time, I'm still going to dunk on him. <laughs> I mean, we, we have genocidal, megalomaniacal maniacs wanting to destroy the world. Not but until shit, no. January, not after January 21st, 2021. Huh? Huh? You, you hope. <laughs> I'm going to stop you, Chris, but I was say, we have these characters in the games. And we're just dunking on this poor little architect who had a bit of a nerd on for puzzles. <laughs> we are the bullies. Oh, no. Oh, no. Nerd! Nerd! <laughs> oh, man. Um, so there, there's a couple more things I wanted to mention. Um, there, uh, yeah, one more thing for my notes is... We didn't talk about how the layout changes also really affects the game flow in certain areas. The mansion, most of all. Mm -hmm. I oh, yeah, definitely. love the graveyard shortcut so that, much. Yeah, like logic of having that graveyard there aside, it is a fantastic shortcut. It's so good. I They're love getting it so ready much. for Halloween. Yeah, <sighs> I mean, they are properly decorated. Super proper decorated. Yeah. Yeah, I I do love I do love the multiple routes between areas. I'm, yeah, I'm not I'm not huge on the doorknob falling off thing. I do love the little message Barry has about it. It's like I finally fixed that crap door. Yeah, I do like that. Also, it's funny in Chris's game because Wesker does it. Yeah, which makes no. The only reason I can think is like oh, this doorknob is making me so frustrated. All right, I'll fix it. Mm. And they just write like I almost wonder like he accidentally he was right he was writing hate mail to Chris and then he got changed his mind. It was like I I can't I can't let he doesn't know yet that I hate him so much. Mm. Well, I don't think he does yet because Chris hasn't laughed at him yet. Yeah. Okay. 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 Remember, Wesker's a sociopath. He just hates when people laugh at him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but like Chris hasn't laughed at him yet. So at that point, he's still just like, haha, Chris is my best man. I'll show him though. Or something. I don't know. My revenge thing is very confusing. I think it's more like, <laughs> hmm, Chris Redfield. He brought me a cupcake. Perhaps I shall let him live. Mm, then it's yes. like, <laughs> your idea is stupid, Wesker. <laughs> I, I love the idea that he was fixing the door, so it's like Wesker in these sunglasses at night with like a little can of like WD-40. <laughs> <laughs> And a little screwdriver to tighten, tighten yeah. the screws. And oh, if I ever I see that, that janitor, I'm going to kill him. If he's a zombie, I'll kill him again. At that uh. point, he's still like, I don't know why, but I also still blame George Trevor for this doorknob. I never met the man, but I just want to blame him. Yes. I, if Good you actually think about it, George Trevor had nothing to do with that. That's just shoddy maintenance. No. Oh yeah. yeah, no, that's that's not that's even, the repair guy. Remotely his fault. Yep. Yep. Um The the flow is 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 extremely good though. And I, I do like the the multiple routes. I like that I mean this still goes back to the original, but that like the, the flow of the game still takes you through the mansion to the guardhouse and then like looping back around again in really interesting ways. Mm-hmm. 
And I like the 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 change to the underground, which was interesting. I'm not sure how I feel about it being less of a straight shot from mansion to to the underground to yeah. the lab. Like I'm, yeah. I'm, it's like I'm torn, right? Because I I love thematically as ridiculous as it is the chamber, you know, to go down into it, which is just gets to the whole aesthetic of the thing, you know. It's but it's, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm still torn about that. But yeah, it's, I like the I like the expansion, but I pref- I would prefer if it had led directly to the lab. Yeah, just there. Uh, we just want a little bit more logic because I mean that's the thing I I find interesting about. Resident Evil 2 and 3 remakes is that the logic of getting to some of these locations, the locations themselves are not logical. I mean, you know, the the mm-hmm. Hive and Hive 1 and 2 are fucking bonkers big for being built, you know, without mm-hmm. anyone knowing, you know, in in with a nuclear implied nuclear power plant, you know, or some sort of high, super high power system. Um anyway, uh, but at the very least, like the getting there makes a bit more sense. Like, you know, you could see if it's a few, you know, for like different entrances, but anyway, yeah, the Spencer States are goofy. The Spencer state is goofy, but we love it and it's still really good. Anyway, the last question I had is I did get some notes about what some of the team members went on to do after working on this, just because some of it's just interesting and also just has some, I don't know, it kind of, it kind of connects again with the future of the franchise. And I have a a last word after that as well but um yeah would you like to know more about where these developers went for it asking you to sure well you made the effort go on okay thank you um so one of the planners who had previously worked on dino crisis 2 was kochi kake uh kakai uh he kept up with the resident evil series into four and five as a planner and most recently worked in devil may cry 5 he was also the full game planner on Clock Tower 3, which is impressive and kind of cool, interesting. Uh, Shiginori Nishikawa was another of the planners, continued into designing on Resident Evil 4, and joined Mikami and leaving Capcom to work on Vanquish in 22. He was the lead designer on Evil Within 2, which again, feels kind of t- uh, telling and interesting. Interestingly, the creature and character lead designer, Kenichi Uida, uh, Sorry, it's a hard one when my nose is stuffy. He bounced around different art department jobs, sometimes working on background modeling for Resident Evil Outbreak, Capcom versus SNK. He did motion stuff, and he ended up directing the cinematics for Resident Evil 4 and Devil May Cry 4 at some point. So he kind of did a bunch of odd jobs. The interface designer um, also ended up working on Evil Within 2 later, as well as designed like the tile screen for Resident Evil 0. And uh, lastly is the cutscenes director of photography, Hide Gondo, who was considered, you know, again, as I mentioned, most of the interviews I was finding credited him as very much like the kind of the person who visualized him and uh, 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 the art background art director kind of made the look. So Gondo continued on to working on cutscenes for Resident Evil 4, Umbrella Chronicles, Operation Raccoon City, and even Revelations 1 before he left Capcom and became the cutscene director of the first Evil Within. So that uh, that kind of gets to anyway. So there's there's kind of a parting word, which is a quote from Mikami from Famitsu. But I don't know if it, I just want to make sure you get everyone else's final thoughts because I've been ranting for a bit. Vanessa, do you want to go first? Oh uh, sure. And despite all of my uh, going on about it and nitpicking at the puzzles, I still really really do love this game. It is still a fantastic game. So please do not mistake any of my nitpicking for for dislike. Genuine love here. Great game. Yeah, I mean, I'm the same. I mean, we wouldn't be doing this podcast unless we love the games. 
unless mm-hmm. it's six. <laughs> but um, I can see why they wanted to remake Resident Evil. It it was a fantastic game to begin with, but knowing the amount that they had to cut to get it out, and the, then having the chance to go back and actually show the game they wanted to make originally. It's a blessing in its own way. It's just, we have this chance to look into a very unique era in video game development. Not just once, but twice. And just to see how the games have evolved from that point really is fantastic. And I'm so glad they remade the game. And just one last piece of trivia from me. So Hideki uh, Kamiya, who is all who's credited for the creation of Brad Vickers, admitted that when they were creating Joseph Frost, he took the name Joseph from Joseph Joestar. Yes, it is a reference to JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. <laughs> that, which then explains why there's JoJo on Kamiya's Resident Evil 2, uh, that locker in the in that one spot. So that is pretty awesome. I'm so glad yeah. you found that. I'm so glad you found that piece. That's awesome. Uh, cool. Yeah, I mean, my... I, I pretty much... I don't know what more I could add. I think you both have covered, you know, a lot of it. Resident I will say, I guess, speaking more personally, is that the Resident Evil remake came at a time for me that I was starting to... Because I was, I was about 14... I was about 15 when it came out. And it pushed my creativity because of just be able to see the possibilities and it inspired me. I use actually used a lot of the score for temp score for my first, uh, live action short film. Um, not sure if Vanessa even remembers that. Cause God, that was, that was a long time ago. Um, Oh shit. Yeah. That was like 2007, I think. Um, but anyway, uh, it was a very, it was a very significant thing. It was part of, you know, I mean, it's, it's been something that has inspired me and has inspired us obviously. And absolutely. I, I've started to poke the holes more in it to the point that like, I'm actually wondering if the Resident Evil two remake is actually better to me now, but, mm. but it's a, um, I think it's, it's an interesting point of seeing also Mikami as a developer and seeing like, because I love what Resident Evil 2 does. It's the Resident Evil remake does. Uh, Resident Evil 2002. And that watching as the franchise has evolved, it's interesting that it's learned different lessons from it. And that some cases it's like, well, we do this thing that's like that and that is retained and that's good. But that we have to change this thing because it didn't sell. Because apparently this remake did not do well. This underperformed rather drastically. And is one of the and as actually in more of recent interviews, uh, Mikami has stated it was the number one reason for the divergence into Resident Evil Four, and which which is a real depressing bummer that we might get into in, in like an actual Resident Evil Four episode, but also because it was on the GameCube, a platform mm-hmm. that was still mostly pushing you know family friendly more children friendly fare it was not known for being a platform full of horror games it was not a platform it was going to go gangbusters on mm-hmm. nintendo is it is a family friendly company you look at their most profitable properties it's the likes of mario 
you're not going to find a horror game on a Nintendo and find it's going to do very well sales-wise. Mm-hmm. And it's the... Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, do you have... I, I don't want to interrupt. Well, I no, mean, no. I still argue that RE4 isn't really a horror game either. Right. Which is possibly why it did do better. It did. and It's an and action it, game. Exactly. But yeah. it's also dr- Leon's drunken recollections. <laughs> I, I also... Well, my my headcanon now is officially that it's it is Leon uh, running a D and D campaign of his supposed adventure in Spain, and he gets Jake to play as himself. So Jake is playing as Leon. That's pretty awesome. That explains then why he oh, of course, because then Jake would dump all the stats into acrobatics. So that's why he's able mm-hmm. to do. Oh my god, that makes so much sense. And he and he rolls a lot of twenties. <laughs> and he punches things. Yep. Um, regard, yeah, and, and I mean, the GameCube discussion is a long one to go into, but um, there are some places that I recommend to everybody to to go check out about because I feel the GameCube was stuck in the shadow of the N sixty four, and mm-hmm. and that's another big issue for the re, for the Resident Evil remake not being successful. Um, there's a recent video regarding Resident Evil Four. Um, there's a couple of them regarding Resident Evil Four from Stomp Skeletons from Fighting, and uh, they go into uh, the sales of Resident Evil 4 and all of its uh, the punching weight episode talking about ports of the game it goes into that that and how GameCube sales for Resident Evil 4 were really good, but when it then was ported to the PS2, that's when it exploded. And mm-hmm. I don't know the circumstances of the deal or if it was because they used certain proprietary you know code or whatever from Nintendo for the the GameCube re- remake of Resident Evil that perhaps that was why it didn't get ported for many many years. Um, but it was it's an unfortunate tragedy and i i find it tragic at least from that perspective because yeah, and, no, and definitely and Just, uh, very quickly though resident evil had a to- uh, the remake had a total sales of um 4.7 million copies nearly 4.8 million on the gamecube it was 1.35 million yeah it's really low yeah. it's really really low um to this end about the evolution um there is a and this you know this will be kind of something we'll come back to in Resident Evil 4 but in Famitsu regarding Resident Evil 4 um Mikami was asked um we did not think that the you know the footage of Resident Evil 4 this is when by the way the uh, Hookman demo had been shown mm-hmm. um and Mikami says if you refer to age regarding Biohazard it is already like a grandfather That is why this time, in order to rejuvenate, we inserted new DNA. Regarding 4, we are challenging ourselves to make a new biohazard. And he said, we want users to anticipate the game instead of just buying it because it's the latest game in the series. Because, you know, wasn't Dragon Quest like that in the Famicom era? And to do that, we injected new DNA by pulling directors and asking them to try to change biohazard. This, of course, is what leads into things like um, uh, Haunting Ground and Devil May Cry and stuff like that. And we're in the process of a full model change. The goal is not to change the style, but to have a game that would make players raise their voices and exclaim, oh, like in the original Biohazard. This time around, we do not say much at the front line. We only use our breaks when it is really to the point of abuse for them. Um, And it's just kind of, you know, just, you know, this is kind of interesting final thought because like when we get into Resident Evil Zero as well, like this is like the, the kind of the cap, the zeitgeist of that fixed camera tank controls era and it's just interesting that you know it's like it 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 does have this this vibe you know that I think is it's kind of an interesting kind of valid point 
where can you take this from here? And unfortunately, it took a while for the tech, I think, to evolve and over-the-shoulder shooters to take on. And so like Resident Evil 4 leads to Dead Space, and then Dead Space inadvertently inspires the Resident Evil 2 remake, which has now you know, affected uh, the whole franchise. But anyway, it's, it's food for thought. Anyway, God, I am talking way too much of these goddamn things. <sighs> so um, I think we're going to wrap it up there. If, yep, uh, that is it. If you're still listening to us, um, God have mercy on your soul. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, we hope you've enjoyed this episode. The fact that we've run on for two and a half hours kind of shows how much we've enjoyed this game. It's yep. It holds a special place in our heart. And if it gets you to pick up and play either the original game or the remake, I think we've done our job. So that's all I'm going to say on the matter. I'm Castle Rook. I'm I'm Vanessa Sketch. (laughs) Sorry. It's okay. And I'm Chris Jabberwock. We are still the most uncoordinated (laughs) bunch in the world. It's hard hard to do that over audio audio and, yeah and 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 it's, it's real I don't, hard and i don't i don't trust to have cameras and all this kind of stuff you know for us to like do webcam stuff that we're just we are who we are and that's kind of that's the best we can do you so know. from all of us tonight thank you for joining us next time we will be likely covering the prequel resident evil zero uh if you guys have any questions anybody listening out there has uh decides to pick up either the original or the remake and play through them and you want to let us know how it went, please do. We have an email. That is the uh, Spencer statement at gmail.com. I believe it is exactly got to make sure that I'm getting it exactly right. Just Spencer, statement at gmail.com. Or if you have any other questions for us uh, for the upcoming episode about Resident Evil Zero, please shoot us questions over there. Also, you can ask us questions over at our Twitter at the Spencer... Well, I'm sorry, just a statement pod. That's a statement with an E. That is our Twitter handle. You can also find all of us on Twitter at our respective handles. Uh, Vanessa Sketch. uh, It's Chris Jabberwock, right? Or Jabberwocky? It's Everwalk, yeah. I couldn't fit. We will have links to those Twitter accounts in the YouTube video of this. Yeah, that too. That too. And Castlework blogs. So, um, thanks for tuning in, and we will catch you all next time. Stay safe out there, and watch out for zombies. Peace out. Latest.